Bonjour, Monsieur Max. Je vais t'arriver en verse. Oh, parfait. Avec un jour de retard, comme prévu. <rire> oh, la gueule qu'ils s'ont fait quand ils sont trouvés. <rire> T'es la flottage de place du pétrole. <rire> Mais j'ai filé avant le début du spectacle. <rire> Dites, quel coup formidable quand même. Hein? Oh, certes, certes. Euh, C'est l'avantage d'avoir un cerveau génial, hein, monsieur Oh, je ne parle pas de moi, mais de notre chef, le régent, hein <rire> The curse of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. And welcome to NashiCast number 52. Two, 52. <laughs> 52. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And uh, tonight we are going to be talking about a, a, a French film from uh, 1975. Um, subscribe. Paul Nash, we're going to be right up front with you, has a very tiny role. And controversially, I have a quote from him that indicates that his role was going to be larger. We'll get to that uh, later that on. story, huh? Yeah, well, you know, it's very it happens in the uh, in the the world of European filmmaking. Oh, what you uh, get promised doesn't always doesn't always True, uh, true, true. Did you say your name or did I forget something? I did, but just in case oh. you didn't catch it cuz it it rolls off the tongue very nicely. It is Troy Gwynn. So, it's yes, true. Yes. I, I, what's weird is I once listened Remember back Remember that to, name and send money to it. <laughs> yeah, really. I once listened back to one of our episodes and I realized that we that neither of us said our names at the beginning of one of them. And I don't know what the hell it was. I think we were talking before we must have oh, been like listen, talking about well, something and then we just started recording and we just Oh, you mean we went off on a tangent? You don't say, you don't Yeah, say, you don't you say don't that ever it. happens. No, no, no. But tonight we will be covering a film a French film from nineteen seventy five called Doctor Justice, and we will get to that in a little while, but first of all... Would you call this a French-Spanish co-production, or is it just a French film with some Spanish people in it? I, I think it's just a French film with some Spanish some actors. Some Nashi in people it. in yeah, it, yeah. It's not yeah, just Nashi. Yeah. We've got a couple other Nashi people in it, I think. At least one that I know for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's couple, actually, couple, uh, think, there's actually a couple. Yeah. But uh, what uh, before, before we get to that, a couple of pieces of house cleaning. First of all, let us remind everybody that uh, uh, you can donate to the podcast any cash that you may have lying around uh, mm -hmm. via our PayPal button. That would be... Go to the Bloody Pit of Rod or go to the NashiCast uh, website and uh, tag that button that says Donate, and you may send us via PayPal moolah to help us with mm -hmm. the uh, the hosting costs mm -hmm. of said podcast. It's uh, it's always helpful. It's always nice. And uh, once again, once again, would like to thank Mike out there in the the hinterlands of of the world who uh, <clears throat> likes to at least once a year. Grant, grant us a little bit, a little bit of his hard-earned cash to offset the costs. Yes, I believe we called him our daddy warbucks. I think was our, our exactly. term. Exactly. So yeah. <laughs> if you would like to join Mike and be perhaps little orphan Annie, <laughs> or so, I don't know, maybe we maybe we need to. Uh, since Bloom County's just come back, maybe, that's right. Maybe, maybe you could be Opus. There you go. Yeah, you can be our Opus. 
Opus uh, would donate to a radical cause. Such <laughs> Wait a minute, I can't remember. Was there is there a very rich character in Bloom County? Ah, boy, it's been. Too, I, not that I, I don't remember. I don't recall actually. Oh, and, yeah. and, and, what, and what, what? How crazy is it that Bloom County's back? I know, boy. Years? I mean, because that that really seemed like that guy when he said he. I mean, I think when he retired, I think like most. Most, you know, people yeah. who are making serious money off what they're doing say they're retiring. Everybody just rolls their eyes and goes, yeah, like like Stephen King retired, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, but, hey, boy, you know, it really looked like he... We, we've been trying to get Garth Brooks to retire forever, and some bitch <laughs> won't go away. It really looked like he uh, looks... At it, we really looked like he was he was done, like he really meant yeah. it. Cause, uh, yeah. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was an unexpected... Uh, uh, return there. Well, I, I like his joke. He says, I just couldn't resist because Donald Trump's in the, yeah, in the well, presidential I know, race. I know, I know. <laughs> like the, so many comedians, it's, oh, it's comedy gold. It is, it is. You know, that's one thing that scares me about that is I, I'm almost afraid that people will vote for him strictly for the freak show. Oh, you don't have to worry but, about it. It's not like he's going to be the actual Even that he's going to go so far to even have people have the chance. No. I hope not because I could literally see people because people are so disenchanted and disgusted and no, no, no. indifferent he has to as much politics. Chance. He has as much chance as like, Gigan. I mean, yeah. come on. Just, <laughs> he, the, he has as much chance is, as yeah. the flying spaghetti monster. Come on. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. But uh, in... in Relation to the cost of hosting the podcast, yes, yes. A real uh, point uh, we 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 have run up to a point where we have enough podcasts that actually we have too many podcasts in the RSS feed, uh, and so what's going to have to happen is I'm going to start dropping the first few episodes out of the iTunes feed, out of the RSS feed, and what that means really is that if you've not gotten those episodes, uh, and generally you get them through uh, iTunes or Stitcher or something like that. You might want to go ahead and, and grab them up. You will. It's not like they're going to go away uh, in any permanent fashion. What's going to happen is I'm going to drop them out of the RSS feed and drop. They'll they'll fall off of uh, the iTunes uh, page, and uh, I will set up a drop a Dropbox link for those particular episodes as I take them off. So people will still be able to get those episodes. It will just not be as easy as subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. So. Uh, they're not going away. They will be mm-hmm. available to the mm-hmm. public. It will just require a different kind of click, and it yeah. will immediately drop into your iPod. You would have to manually put it into your iPod. But that is just the way things are, people. Yeah. We're six years into this sucker, <laughs> and we produce enough, enough yeah. episodes that I can no longer pay for the upkeep of all of you bastards. <laughs> Some of you are going to have to earn jobs, get money, That's and right. bring it here and tell me where the good fruit is. That's right. Because your mother keeps yeah. hiding it behind the bread. <laughs> I'm I'm so, I'm sorry. That had nothing. That had nothing whatsoever to <laughs> I'm do. I'm sitting there thinking, is that a reference to some something obscure? No, I should no. know it. That's okay. no, no, no. That's uh, just that's, reference to one of your nightmares, apparently. You know, uh, yes, know. yes. Much like the other day, I saw in mm-hmm. one day three dead snakes. Wow, three. Really? Okay. Now uh, that's wrong. <laughs> That should I'm not, sure that's an omen in some not. sort of ancient Indian culture of some sort. It, it's it's an omen of, of 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 being glad you visited the restroom recently in each on each occasion because <laughs> I'm telling you right now there's that base thing in the back of the human male yeah. that, well not not male yeah. just the mammal brain that causes you the moment you see something that might even be a snake snake yeah the bowels you, get yeah, loo- the bowels yeah, get yeah, loosened yeah. the the balls retract everything goes in haywire and all yeah. you can think of get away get away get away well I've I've had this discussion with you know like here in this area of the country where we live here in the south you know there there's only a small number of species snake species that are actually venomous that are actually yeah, dangerous yeah. there are a few but there's not many but as i always say you know 
if you're walking the woods and 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 when I'm drops on your on your shoulder, it's venomous no matter what. You know, you <laughs> don't just, you don't yeah. You, you, know, you don't get to you don't get the chance to really kind of pause and go, and go oh, oh, let me see your mark. Let me let me get out my yeah. It's like you just go ahead and assume it's a freaking cobra. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I have I have very little interest in getting to know my snaky friends and and. Uh, they may they may actually be uh, possible allies, mm. but I'm not going to find out on my own. So um, there is that. So uh, if you're interested and uh, if you uh, want to make sure that you have those first few episodes, uh, especially I would say probably the first five or six. Yeah, because we hit some. I mean, yeah, because that, that that means that like Horizon from the Tomb is going to go yeah. out of you know it's it's a. Uh, well, I mean, like the very first episode was uh, Mark of the Wolfman, aka Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. Then you have Horizon from the Tomb. Um, uh, Night of the Howling Beast, mm. um, Vengeance of the Mummy, uh, Crimson, which ain't much of a Well, I was going to say, some people might suggest to us that rather than being so linear about it, perhaps we should take the films that people are going to be least, but I don't know if it works that way, but it take people, yeah, you, could, really you have to do it in like a, you know. Well, no, I can eliminate yeah. whatever episodes I want to. It's just that my thought is, mm. go with the older ones, and it's like I say, I'm not going to do away with them. Yeah, You're sure, going to be no, able to course. get them. They yeah. just really won't be part of the, they won't be part of the regular RSS feeds. Have the, uh, have, have there been, have other um, podcasts been following this model you're talking oh, about? Yeah. Because I'm sitting oh, there thinking about something like the Big Movie Cast, I'm like, surely, I was like, so they must have had to have done something like this, because surely not all their episodes oh, yeah, are, yeah. are their own on um, well, iTunes. Actually, I think, they... I think Vince has a pretty nice bankroll. Okay, so uh, he's to, basically just throwing out he the He may actually have all of them on there. Okay. I don't know. I got you. But one of the, one of the standards that you can, can kind of point to is something like uh, Terror Transmission, and what mm. they've done is mm. uh, uh, they recently took their first 50 episodes completely off the feed just because they didn't have the hosting space anymore. They, right. they were I over think. 100, and they were just like, okay, yeah. it's just costing too much. Okay. So they just took the first 50 off, and you can like donate money to them and they'll send you like a flash drive with the first fifty episodes. Oh, on that's it. nice. Oh, that's good. Which gets them, you know, yeah. some money for yeah. uh, the the host the hosting, and it gets you know you the first fifty episodes of Terror Transmission all in one shot, which is which is a pretty damn good. That's deal. That's a cool idea. That is. But uh, the uh, the thing is, it's uh, we haven't really gone out of our way to attempt to monetize this, and this is not a this really isn't an attempt to drag money out of folks because that's not really what we're trying no, to no, do no, here. No, but. It uh, is something that we do not wish to become more uh, onerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On our on our wallets. Yeah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do away with uh, the first couple of episodes a bit at a time, and uh, just to, just to make room because we don't want to pay more money, <laughs> and uh, we will uh, we will go from there. So this is consider yeah. this your your warning. Yeah. And uh, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this episode, you might like the first few episodes. Although God knows, it took us a few to actually get exact get get the the format mm. of this sucker down. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, true. And we, to get comfortable we were enough the, to, we were the epitome of winging it uh, from the uh, from the first there. So. <laughs> yeah, truly. We 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 in in, in to be blunt, we uh, took a little while before we felt comfortable enough. To bullshit the way we're currently bullshitting. <laughs> yeah, for, I know. You know, I have to admit, I've not listened to our first episode since the first time you sent me your initial edit. You know, someday yeah. I know I'll go back and listen to it. And I'm afraid it's going to be like, and then Paul Nashy was. <laughs> you see him as, or you know, like we're going to be so and stiff then and so someone so like, fired a cat yeah, at them. So yeah. terrified of the yeah, they were going to be so terrified of the microphone that you know that's how it's going to come out. I don't know, but that's uh, that's that's probably compared to how we wing it now or how we're you know yeah. as comfortable as we are now with it. That's probably how we're going to sound well once once you start getting feedback from from people you do realize that okay this is this mm. is not the this is not the clusterfuck that i think yeah, it might right. turn into so right right yeah 
But uh, there is that. Also, we would like to go ahead and... Um, Oh, I didn't. I, that's right. I didn't have another announcement. I thought mm-hmm. I had another. Announcement. We'd like to go ahead and tell you we have no announcements. No uh, well, no, actually, just before, before, just to to peek behind the curtain before this, uh, Troy and I were laying out the uh, podcast we're going to be doing for basically the rest of the year. Uh, the films that we're going to be uh, touching on, of course, will be uh, over on the Bloody Pit. We've been uh, returning uh, every th- three months to the controversial kaiju thing, and we were just lining up. When we're recording the next controversial kaiju, the mm-hmm. Nashi film will be covering next month here on the podcast. The Beyond Nashies, yeah, the Beyond, yeah, the Beyond Nashies that'll be coming up for uh, let's just say October mm-hmm. and things like that. So um, we have uh, plenty more coming at you this yeah, year. We pretty much put out the roadmap for we've got it planned through the rest of the through the rest of this year. We've got yep. it uh, pretty much lined up. So we'll be delving that out in just like little bits here and there. You know, keep you tantalized and teased. Tantalized and teased, uh, but f- fun stuff. Uh, on the on the plus side here, pretty soon we're gonna have uh, a book, a new book on s- the Spanish horror on Spanish horror cinema, the golden age of Spanish horror cinema to discuss. Uh, but when I have that in my hot hot little hands, we will have a we may I may actually do just an extra little podcast on that book itself. I know I'll be writing mm-hmm. a, a pretty decent review once I have it in my hands to read. Yeah, but. Uh, that's a, that's exciting thing. I keep hoping that we're going to get new announcements of, if not Nashi films, to Just come out something on, new, on some yeah. new DVD release yeah. or Blu-ray release. We're having, you know, you mean you have to duck to 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 not be hit by all the Franco Blu-rays flying out, flying at you oh, these days, which is great. But unless you're a Franco fan, otherwise you're not getting a whole lot of uh, not a whole lot of news. I mean, there's there's every day there's exciting DVD or Blu-ray news of some kind. But when we're talking about specifically. Spanish cinema, it's 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 kind of dry right now. So. True, very true. I will I will say I did, um, folks. We get another little peek behind the curtain here. <laughs> <laughs> I write uh, I write reviews for uh, uh, an online website occasionally, and they send me review copies of uh, Blu-rays and DVDs sometimes. And uh, recently, uh, out of the blue, they did send me the new um, Blu-ray for Franco's uh, Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. Oh, wow. Cool. So I've, I've got to sit down and, and uh-huh. watch that and uh, write a review of that. Now, here's the problem, is mm-hmm. that uh, I watched Erotic Rites of Frankenstein about 10 years ago and fucking hated it. <laughs> I, I remember mean, you've not spoken I mean, happily of that. Film. Yes, I was unimpressed. But here's the weird thing. Since then... I think my tastes and my view toward Jess Franco's films have mm. changed. Yeah. They haven't done a 180, yeah. but they have definitely moved along that <clears> continuum <throat> mm-hmm. toward being a bit more generous in my opinion of yeah. his film work, especially yeah. in that period. Yeah. And I have the feeling I'm going to go back and rewatch this and there's going to be a reevaluation on my <laughs> side just because there are too many people who are fans of this kind of cinema and of Jess Franco's work in general who have positive things to say about that film that I used I used to just rake these people over the coals for, the, for having these particular opinions. I used to I used to claim you must be blind truly thou hast plucked out an eye. But no, I, I have no idea what it's gonna be like. But yeah, here in the next couple of weeks when I have time again I'm gonna sit down and and watch the Blu-ray of, of Erotic Rights of Frankenstein and 
there was not a there was a period of time not too long ago um, where I swore up and down I will never view that piece of shit again in my life if you held a gun to my well apparently all you have to do send me a Blu-ray of the fucking thing and I'll watch it again and maybe so. a few Chris Twinnies folded up within the uh, for a oh if they want to do that <laughs> then, yeah. by, by the way I, I, I love this film it's a great I thing. will not alter my opinion but I am susceptible to bribes so. <laughs> well let well before we take the break and then get really started here on Dr. Justice I want to say speaking of Blu-ray news uh, one that I was very excited about I mean there's just all kinds of great stuff coming out but I was just really thrilled here in the last couple of days to hear that Scream Factory is releasing a film that I've always loved uh, called Blood and Lace not to be confused oh, with yes not to be confused with Blood and Black Lace the I didn't Mario, know that I didn't Mario know Baba they film they've just announced it this week it's supposed to be coming out in November and as everybody knows, Scream Factory always does stellar work. And uh, Blood and Lace, you 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 got me a copy of that yes, to see a few yeah, years ago. Absolutely. That's a good. Yeah, that, yeah. that is a very good. Little and film. it's never had an official uh, home video release of any kind. It's show, it's popped out on some. Uh, I mean, it, it's popped out on some of those like collections of you know sixteen you know horror movie kind of compilation uh-huh. you know sort of bootleg sort of things like that. But it's never had a real nice official release on any, in any format. And so, uh, uh, and I've always, it's a great piece of 70s sleaze. I, re, I think everybody will really 1970, enjoy 1971, I think. I think something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, uh, I got Vic Tabak, Melody Patterson, um, in it, uh, another couple of, uh, a good cast in it. And, uh, yeah, just a lot of uh, oh, really, really entertaining really films. So yeah, I was very, very happy. That's one that's always, that's been very, very close to the top of my wish list for, for films to get a Blu-ray release. And it looks like it's going to happen. So well, it is interesting that Scream Factory, Gloria Graham, Graham, that she's also, Gloria Graham's that's, yeah, that's yeah, right. Right. Scream Factory has also announced that they're going to be doing a release of, uh, Army of Darkness. Yeah. Right, right. Which is, which is exciting, except that they haven't released any details on it yet. And I'll be honest with you, What's I'm going to be very pissed if they don't have, yeah. Both versions of the film because yeah. I'm I'm really kind of hardcore about the fact that I don't particularly mm-hmm. like. Now that let, let's put it this way, I've always loved Army of Darkness from the moment I saw it in the theater mm-hmm. when it when it mm-hmm. finally came out in the theater years ago. Mm-hmm. But having then seen the original cut of the film, the mm-hmm. mu- the like fifteen minute longer cut yeah. of the film yeah. with the original ending, the the mm-hmm. original very yeah. am- amazing ending, right, right. Uh, I don't really particularly like the short cut down American U.S. theatrical release of it. The, the U.S. theatrical release to me is mm-hmm. a butchered version of that yeah. damn movie, and I can't watch it. So the mm-hmm. only way I'll watch it is I've held on to the uh, the Japanese yeah, the I've got Japanese too, yeah. DVD mm-hmm. uh, for years. And when I want to watch Army of Darkness, that's the that's the version of it I watch because right. it's that full length original cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, if that Blu-ray doesn't include that cut of it, I'm going to be incredibly pissed off. Because yeah. this is the this is the time because Army of Darkness has been released not not as many times as Evil Dead or Evil Dead Two, <laughs> no. but it's been released on video now too many freaking yeah, times yeah, yeah. without them really digging into doing it right and yeah. giving us both versions of the film. And if this one comes out and yeah. it's not there, it's well, doing it right is usually what Screen Factory does. So yeah. we got to hope, you know. I think I think I'd say that the odds are very very good that we'll get that but you're right i agree with you i mean it's it's, it's not really going to make it worth getting if uh, i think for a lot of people if they if it doesn't I won't bother happen. i really yeah, i mean no, i really no, won't. It's too, yeah I, I, it, that's just the yeah. way i feel but hey we're we're once again off onto a tangent mm-hmm. but all hail scream factory yes yay. yes yay thank they're you awesome. they're thank awesome thank you 
you may uh, Scream Factory if you'd like to send me review copies of your <laughs> I'm more than willing to write reviews of your films as well if you will if you will send them to me for for free also Arrow Video if you'd like yeah, to do that Arrow, uh, don't you need some please yeah. send, send me freebies I we I'm, have lots of influence we have a vast audience we have a vast we audience very, we are very influential we have we have many I might even call them minions yeah. <laughs> and lo they will go and purchase whatever we tell them to purchase isn't that right Yes, yes, I'll put in a crowd. I'll put in crowd noise right here. <laughs> but okay, all right, all right. We'll take a break now. We will come back and we will delve into Doctor Justice. Hello, and welcome to a commercial for Hello. This is the Doom Show. I am Richard. I am Brad. And on the podcast that is known as Hello, This is the Doom Show, we talk about Jalla movies, slasher movies, horror movies. We're going to interview Cary Grant live in the studio. We're going to interview Lucio Fulci in the studio, folks. We're going to put Cary Grant in the studio with Lucio Fulci. It's the interview you never thought would happen. I'm going to wear my Vincent Price slacks. I'm going to wear my Citizen Kane wristwatch and monocle. And now Brad is going to recite the Pledge of Allegiance in Portuguese. Brad, go. I don't know Portuguese. Go! Go! Stop hitting me! You're a natural actor. Yeah. You can listen to us at hellodoomedshow.podomatic.com or you can find the archive at doomedmoviethon.com.
Dr. Justice, 1975. Uh, first thing you ought to know is that this film is, um, well, I, most people who write who write about this film or who have any comments to make about this film, in other words, people who've actually seen the damn film, right? Yeah, <laughs> comment that it is essentially kind of a, a French version of uh, a James Bond film, and in a way, it kind of is. It's uh, in a lot of ways, it is if. Well, remember, nineteen seventy-five, we were dead center in uh, the middle of the Roger Moore era. Yeah, yeah. Of James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means that unfortunately we're getting slightly silly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Roger Moore, uh, Roger Moore's portrayal of James Bond was uh, something that kind of, um, I don't know, it kind of swung back and forth between serious and silly. Yeah. And unfortunately, the sillier elements tended to win out in the in the later films the further along he yeah. went. Yeah. Um, not that there weren't good ones near the end of his run, but mm-hmm. uh, there were mm-hmm. most mostly it got to the point where James Bond was much more of a of a kind of pop, pop culture reference and mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a touchstone as a joke for a lot of people. And unfortunately, that, uh, that, made the, that made the series a little bit less than what it was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But, of course, in the 60s, the Eurospy genre was born, which was, of course, European producers ripping off James Bond left mm-hmm. and right, making yeah. every kind of damn oh, yeah. spy movie they could think of as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. And in a lot of ways, there's a sh- well, in a lot of ways, a lot, a lot of them are really, really, really entertaining, and sometimes for the right reasons, and sometimes for the wrong reasons. Yeah. So to have a kind of James Bond uh, ripoff or pastiche or whatever you want to call it come along in 1975. Really is kind of well after the fact because the Euro spy mm. genre kind already, of died yeah, out. Yeah, beginning it yeah. was. Yeah, it was. Definitely... Well, it died off by the early seventies. Yeah. So having yeah. something come along by seventy five really is kind mm-hmm. of late in the game. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, those. Uh, it's like the uh, the spaghetti westerns that came along in seventy five, seventy six. They right. were well after the spaghetti western had kind of peaked and and mm-hmm. died off. But this film was made by a, uh, a French director, and what this is is this is uh, a this. Film and this the central character of Doctor Justice is actually based on a very popular French comic book that first began to be published in 1971. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, uh, the central character is a doctor, uh, Doctor Justice, Doctor mm-hmm. Benjamin Justice, mm-hmm. and uh, he's kind of a, a master master of all trades to a large yeah. degree. He is a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. He is an, he's an incredibly good heroic character. He's someone who goes out of his way to travel to all the ends of the earth he's he's the kind of doctor who would be in uh uh doctors without borders these days he right. goes yeah. anywhere yeah uh selflessly attempting to help people mm-hmm. and uh, also uh has studied uh various martial arts mm-hmm. uh they speak to that in the film he's uh a man who can take care of himself very well he's an intellectual he's he's uh very very much a paragon of virtues right to put it um <laughs> To put it, he's he's basically the prototype for you know the uh, the most interesting man in the world you know commercials that we have <laughs> yeah, now you yeah. know he's basically that kind of character. There, he really yeah. is. I mean, because he's a he's a, he's got a very philanthropic look, outlook on life. His philosophy is one of uh, 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 he's a almost preternaturally calm human mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. who seems to be able to handle just about any situation you put him into. Given that, oh, given that he has time to think about it, I would say it's beyond calm. I think he's actually he goes to act where he literally really enjoys himself immensely in these situations. Oh, I know. That's, he's having a good time. That's one thing I 
I, I was I might as well say it here because I was going to say at some point in the podcast is that you know he's played in this film of course by John Philip Law and no one makes Death and Danger look more fun than John Philip Law I think we can pretty much say that <laughs> this is true this is true of course John Philip Law is most famous to uh, cult film fans as uh, well either for his mm. role in Barbarella right as the angel in Barbarella or mm. uh, he played Sinbad and he in played Sinbad in Golden Voyage of Sinbad my favorite Sinbad film uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was Diabolic in Diabolic, Danger Diabolic. Yes, yes. But John Philip Law was in a couple of hundred movies in his yeah. career. He was in one of my favorite comedies. was The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. He's yes, in that. Yeah. Yes. Well, years later, he was in one of my favorite little movies that played with both uh, Barbarella and Danger Diabolic, CQ. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen Have you, ever, have you never, never seen, seen CQ? CQ? Oh, never, it's yeah. Roman Coppola made this wonderful little movie. It's about uh, it's about a, uh, an American... Um, Film editor who's been t- takes place in the late '60s. Mm-hmm. He's he's been uh, taken over, takes a job in Europe, and he's supposed to be editing together this uh, film called Operation Dragonfly. Mm-hmm. It's this science fiction film that looks kind of like a weird cross between Barbarella and mm-hmm. Danger Diabolic. Mm-hmm. And the, but the director is really kind of out of control. The director's played by Gerard Depardieu, and he's oh, really kind of wow. out of control, and uh. he seems much more at home drinking and verbalizing <laughs> what he wants <laughs> the film to be than actually getting the shit on screen. <laughs> and uh, the American editor is finally coerced, kind of forced, really, mm-hmm. to try to make the film himself. Mm-hmm. And he, he's fallen in love with the the main actress who, uh, who uh, is in the movie, and he's kind of fallen in love with the character, but not necessarily the actress. And so it gets a little weirder for him. But the, yeah, the name of the film is it's the two letters C Q. Okay. And it's from two thousand one. Oh, it's it. it's a really it great little movie. Cool. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 really wonderful. And if you're a fan of uh, Danger Diabolic, uh, oh, yeah. John Philip Law is in it. Yeah. And uh, uh, like I said, the, the the cast is astonishing. Cool. Uh, but the uh, sounds very good. Yeah, it's it's a great little film. It's it, it's a love letter to. Movies like Danger Diabolic and uh, Barbarella and films made in that time period in Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it's it's mm-hmm. lovely and wonderful. But uh, the, uh, well, if we start talking, if we're not careful and I start talking yeah. about John Philip Law. Oh, I know. He's going to have an amazing just, career. Yeah, I'm just going to start talking through, yeah. about all of his films that I love. And it's yeah. going to, it's going to be a John Philip Law podcast here. Yeah. So let's get, let's get into this. We have uh, Dr. Justice, who's this character, who's created by, uh, it's a French comic book, of course, created by uh, Jean, uh, was it Jean Oliver, Jean Oliver, and Carlo Marcello, mm-hmm. and uh, he was the artist. Marcello was the artist, and uh, apparently it was incredibly popular, and it had to be popular because by God, they made a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is kind of even at the time it was seen as a James Bond rival mm-hmm. series kind of character. Uh, but to a large degree, if you look at it from our perspective, or at least from my perspective, in a lot of ways, Doctor Justice is kind of a Doc Savage kind of character too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can see because that too. I mean, he yeah. really is. I mean, mm-hmm. he's jack mm-hmm. of all trades. Yeah. I mean, and he, he is, and he is, he is as much a scientist as anything else. Which James Bond yeah. was not really that kind of character, you know. Right, whereas, right. whereas he, this guy, definitely has uh, definitely applies some medical and scientific knowledge to some things that he does, uh-huh. as well as being a athletic and a good fighter and all that kind of thing. Now, uh, this being the Nashi cast, let us point out that Paul Nashi yes. is in this film, but he does have a pretty small role in this. Mm-hmm. He plays one of the uh, the main bad guys, henchmen. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that yeah. right now. What I want to do is take us through uh, this is this is a uh, a synopsis of the film mm-hmm. uh, that I found online, which is a pretty good pretty good synopsis by a fellow named Andrew uh, Pargasm. Okay. Uh, I hope that's not a pseudonym. <laughs> 
Because if it is, then I, 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 yeah, I, I guess I'm being punked. <laughs> but <laughs> but well, so what we have here is uh, Doctor Justice. Okay, the name of the, the, that's the name of the film. Here is a synopsis, folks. Okay, an affable ship's cook departs an oil tanker only moments before the crew finds their shipment of crude oil has been stolen and replaced with seawater. Now, besides being a culinary genius, Max. Uh, who is played by Gert Frobe, is also a master criminal leading a gang of hijackers employed by an elusive boss known only as the Regent. When one of Max's men blackmails him for a larger cut of the profits, he has a sniper assassinate him at the airport. However, the murdered man doesn't die immediately and whispers something to his fellow passenger, and this would be Dr. Justice, played Mm -hmm. by John Philip Law. Uh, Dr. Justice is a crusading physician with the World Health Organization and also a swimming champion, karate expert, philosopher, humanitarian, and all-around good guy. (laughs) Max is fearful that the good doctor knows too much, so he turns to his ambitious right-hand man, Eric Sachs, played by Hugo Blanco. Mm -hmm. Eric persuades his beautiful girlfriend, Karen, played by Natalie Delon, Mm -hmm. to lure Dr. Justice into a trap but is promptly ambushed when he also blackmails Max for more money. So Eric then tries to blackmail. So we had yeah. one guy try to blackmail yeah. Max and get killed, yeah. and Eric knows this. Yeah. And then Eric and tries to do the yeah. same thing to Max. <laughs> and that doesn't really work out that well. He is ambushed, and uh, he is offed mm-hmm. by Max and his dudes. Aided by a remorseful Karen, Dr. Justice escapes from Max, and thereafter sets out to foil the, the bad guy's next hijack at sea, they have a second uh, crude oil mm-hmm. theft yeah. to uh, on the boards. He also notices that the villain bears an uncanny resemblance to Dr. Georges Orwell, who's also played by Gert Frobe. I'm sure that name's not supposed to uh, remind us of somebody of else. anybody else, no. else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Georges Orwell, the do- Dr. George Orwell, is a distinguished colleague of the World Health Organization who has a sinister theory about how to curb the overpopulation mm-hmm. of the third mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Now, Let's just say he's, the, he's a cynical scientist and Dr. Justice is a positive, you know, Dr. Justice optimist. is there with like an optimist, like we can we can yeah. fix this, we can deal with this overpopulation problem, humanity will, you know, we will we will all triumph together over it, whereas the, this, yeah, and so he's at odds with Dr. Orwell here, who has, yeah, a very much a more of a final solution kind of uh, idea in mind, you know, <laughs> yes, so, yeah. It's, it's good doc, bad doc, that's yeah, exactly. what it is. Yeah. But, uh, so what we have here is, first of all, let's address a few things. Mm-hmm. That's the basic plot, but mm. there is so there are so many cool action scenes. Oh yeah, fight sequences, gunfights, car chases, and stuff. Yeah. Silly stuff that you have to just roll with. You know, a lot of a lot of like. Just, oh, there's some silly uh, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but, once again, though, because of the tone of the film. Yeah. You know, you'll the find tone yourself, is very much yeah. that of. Uh, well, it's got the same. It's got a very similar tone to that of Diabolic. Yeah, yeah. And um, the director. Uh, employs a lot of the same kinds of neat uh, visuals to move the, move the movie along and to keep things going at a decent pace. There's a mm-hmm. lot of whip pans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Dutch angles where the camera angles get tilted. There's a lot of things like that that push, the, push you from scene to scene to scene mm-hmm. and keep the pace up. Even though, honestly, I do feel the film could probably have lost about five minutes in length because I think it's just a little too yeah, long. Yeah, it's about an hour 45. and It, it, it could have been, been a little, little shorter. A little short, a little short and tightened up a little bit, yeah. But 
the the film is wonderful. B- besides John Philip Law, as we mentioned, there is uh, Gert Frobe. Yeah, and he's great in this. I know. Well, of course, everybody of everybody stuff. should know by the way that Gert Frobe is the man who played uh, Auric Goldfinger in mm-hmm. the third James Bond film, right. Goldfinger, of course. So uh, there's a, a little Bond mm-hmm. connection there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is. I've seen Gert Frobe in a few other movies as mm-hmm. well. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a he's a German actor, and. Um, the I've seen him in a couple of uh, Krimis I know from the from the sixties mm-hmm. and he's he's somebody who uh, outside although he's you know everybody will always remember him as Goldfinger he's never mm-hmm. going to escape that iconic role right uh, he was really quite good in a lot of other films and this is no exception as you can tell from the synopsis we just rattled off he does play a dual role mm-hmm. which uh, we I, I don't know if we want to necessarily give away How much f- let's just say it does a great job of. I think the film, the way it handles these dual roles, is a great job of making you think it's one thing, and and you know, and it, yeah. it turn out maybe to be not what you thought, or maybe it is what you thought. But I mean, it does. They and the way they they do the scenes, there's a lot of cleverness going on in the way they keep you. Yeah, they keep, keep you, you thinking. Kind of, they keep like, you yeah. thinking that you're being cleverer yeah, than exactly. the film. Yeah, yeah, and then the films at a certain point kind of brings you in. In, in a, in a, visually brings you into the thing of hey okay we both know what's going on here yeah. and then still manages to whip a surprise on you by yeah. the by the uh, by the final in the final act. One of the great things it does is start off from the very first with a great mystery, which is how yes. do they steal I know eighty thousand uh, tons of oil and replace it with salt water without anybody else on the ship knowing no. it, and that's a great thing that that from the very first you've got this this great kind of setup here, this great crime, you know that they have this uh, uh, heist kind of thing. Oh, I wanted to say. By the way, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know this French director at all. Right, uh, Christian Jacques. I didn't yeah. know this film. I didn't know yeah. this film director at all. Right, uh, me either. And then I did did some research, and uh, he he was known for uh, for a, a s- several films that he made with uh, Alan Delon. Oh, okay, which makes sense. Which but makes his, sense with Natalie Delon being in this exactly. So, yeah. And the thing is, his uh, his career. I I, I thought. This film, as much energy as this has, and, and the, the 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 way the way he's shooting this, and the the just verve with which it it moves along, I thought this has got to be. I bet you this is like early in this guy's career. No, this was late in this guy's career. When he made this, he was old. He was an old dude. Really, his he his career started in the thirties. Oh man, wow! This was the second to last movie <laughs> he ever made. After this, he made one more film, and then he started making a lot of a miniseries for European television. This guy, wow, kept, cool. he, he had his mojo awesome. working <laughs> even this late in his career. Sweet. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, he's he, most famous for. Um, uh, 1964 film called The Black Tulip, which is supposed to be quite good, mm-hmm. but I've never mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's uh, he's it was also uh, someone who uh, kind of got famous for a 1971 film that he made that had Bridget Bardot and uh, uh, oh darn it, um, it's called The Legend of the Frenchy King. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. never seen it, but never heard um, that. so that that was kind of a, that was kind of a big deal in his mm-hmm. career, but. This guy had been making films for a very long time by the time he made this, and he was he was well up in years. Mm, wow, huh, cool. And so, uh, quite the opposite of what my initial thought was when watching the movie, which is this: fe- this has the feeling of a young director trying to trying to prove himself and show people that you know he can you know he can make something that's this much fun with this yeah. much energy. Yeah. And uh, nope, nope, not at all. <laughs> Just an old guy who knows all the tricks. <laughs> the unflappable hero of the title. Yeah. Is a pure joy, and yes. uh, you mentioned earlier we, we Paul Nash has a small role as one of um, mm. one of Max's um, henchmen. There, henchmen he's, there. he's got about three or four guys that that yeah, and and yeah, Nash's 
And you, meant, you, you mentioned uh, there are a couple of, uh, of other uh, Nashi uh, collaborators <laughs> along, mm. along, along inside the film. One of them is uh, Hugo Blanco, who's mm. another one of the... Uh, um, uh, but, uh, Max's guys. Max's guys. He's actually uh, he's actually Eric, yeah. the guy who's the boyfriend of Natalie De- Na- Natalie Delon's mm-hmm. character. Is her, her yeah. Uh, he he's Karen, uh, that, that's Eric. That's Hugo Blanco, who we saw. Last, la- I guess we last saw in uh, Disco Rojo. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also later in the film, we get uh, we get a little visit to Colombia, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and there we have uh, Eduardo F- uh, Fajardo. Yeah, show up. yeah. Who we We've seen know him in from, many times. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Like uh, what else? Like Curse of the Devil, mm-hmm. Murder Mansion. Most recently, of course, he was in Bava's Lease and the Devil. He yeah. was in uh, Knife of Ice for uh, 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 Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Eduardo F- uh, Fajardo is someone that we've shown, we've <laughs> seen uh, in a number of films. Yeah. But other than that. Mm. There's another henchman I would like to speak of, and I got to say, I wonder this. if you're going where okay. I think you're going. <laughs> you know, you know I've got to go here because I had to do the research on this guy. Just, there was no way around. <laughs> I figured this, you right? did. Not. When you see the credits, yes, yes. When you see the credits, the opening credits of this film, and, and by the way, folks, uh, I understand there might there there is apparently an English language version of this film out there, but I don't have it, and we didn't watch that. What we right. watched was so the full length. French version of the film with English subtitles. Yeah. So a very keep that in print too. No, it's oh yeah, quite good. Very, yeah, but here's the here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the credits, there is a char- there is an actor named Roger Pashy, P A P A S C H Y, and there was a part of me that went, "Is that a fuck up of <laughs> Paul Nashy?" I name? thought that too. I, thought, I was like, "Poor Nash." I was like, "Poor Jacinto yeah. Molina." I was like, "Don't tell me that," because we're used to like Paul Nash, and we're used to like yeah. his name being. Screwed up sometimes, but I thought, is that oh, uh, actually? Did somebody actually to... call him Roger Pesci? <laughs> I know, I know. And there was a part of me thinking, oh my god, is it, was was his role so small in this that he was just doing this as a favor, so yeah. they, didn't want, they didn't want to use the Nashy name or something like that? But because it is spelled exactly like Nashy, just with a P, with you a know. P. So it was like I thought the same exact thing. <laughs> but the thing is, no, Roger Pesci is a real guy. He plays a, he plays one of the henchmen alongside Nashi in this film, and the character's name is Wang. Wang. Now, here's the weirdest <laughs> yes, part. Let's talk about this, because I really want to... This character has a number of scenes in this movie where he... I mean, this guy obviously knows martial arts. Yeah, yeah. Because he yeah. and John Philip Law square off a number of times and have some really well, badass fistfights. Well, let's just say there's another sign of it being a 70s, mid-70s films is among other many other crazes, you also had the martial arts craze, and, and so exactly. this is one of those films where everybody knows martial arts, you know, whether uh-huh. they should or not, just everybody knows martial arts because that's what happened in the 70s. <laughs> All it so, takes is Bruce Lee and everybody yeah, knows martial arts. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the, I mean, and by the way, that that uh, that first fight between John Philip Law and and Pashy, mm-hmm. uh, in in that uh, in that enclosed space there in that house. Oh yeah, that's where they just are beating the hell out of each other. That's beat, a great. That's, beating that each other is, with uh, chairs. That's one of the high and, points of the film. That I mean, is just, it's just so freaking yeah, awesome. It is. I mean, but what's amazing is I was like, okay, so who is this guy? Yeah. So yeah. I looked him up, and he was a freaking. Martial arts champion. Yeah, well, I think it even says under his name. When I watched it, this, yeah. when it realizes the thing, that when you kind of realize Roger Pashi is, you realize they actually have in small little writing under his uh-huh. name says like something something karate, like it's obviously saying right. world karate champion kind of thing. Yeah, so. well, I, I looked him up. Dude was born in 1944 in Vietnam, and then immigrated to France in 1957. Began training in karate then. 
He was the French he was the French champion from mm-hmm. 73 to 75. He was the European champion in 72, 73 and 75. He after that it's kind of like it's like he got bored with karate and started started training in uh in Thai boxing. It's kind of a mixed martial arts style kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like became a badass in that for like the next 6 or 7 years to the point where he owned a school and was a trainer for it right. as well. And so no, no, no. This dude knew his shit. And from what oh, I yeah, can yeah. tell, yeah. probably was responsible for coordinating and, and choreographing yeah. those those fights. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, was, wasn't John Philip Law also yes. trained in martial arts? Yes, I so thought he was. I thought I remembered that, that he was. And yeah. you can sort of tell it from But I was pretty sure that he was, not just for this film, but that in general he, he but had that martial was a, arts that, training. Yeah, that was a, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's go a little further about this character because you said, now get back, you said he was born in Vietnam. Right. But... Was he a Vietnam parentage, or did it say because apparently, uh, from what I've been able to glean, one parent was Vietnamese and one was French. Okay, because this brings me to the thing that I kept kind of trying to wrap my mind around is like, okay, he doesn't look very much, you know, Asian at or, or Oriental, or you know, yeah, he doesn't only look va- he doesn't, only vaguely. Yeah, yeah, he's and they keep referring to him as being a Chinaman. He really doesn't look Chinese, you know, no. because okay, so and also I'm pretty certain that. I mean, or it looks to me like his hair is a wig, you know. I mean, it looks to me like it's unnaturally that it's hard dark, but it's hard to times. tell. But see, what I'm wondering, well, I mean, because what I kept thinking was, it was amusing me was, okay, he's, you know, they've got, because, you know, they got him with, they got matched with this Chinese sidekick named Wang, played by a guy who obviously is a martial artist, but really doesn't look Chinese at all. And it's like, at that point in the film industry, it couldn't have been that hard to have found an actually really Chinese looking martial art, you know, Chinese, martial artist to play the part. Um, but there's also, uh, almost to the point that I couldn't figure out, have they dyed his hair to make him look even more Chinese? But there's also, Maybe. there's a few parts in the film where they have this kind of running gag between him and Max, where he keeps trying to, Max will be talking about something, and Wang will say, well, in, in China we, and Max will keep cutting him off, and I'm almost wondering if that was sort of an in-joke by the filmmakers, and him realizing that we've got this guy who's playing a Chinese man who really doesn't look Chinese. And was that some sort of running joke with every time he starts trying to talk about China, he cuts him Max off. just cuts him off. Is that some sort of little in joke? Like they're was. aware that this, we're aware yeah. that this looks yeah. kind of strange. So we're just going to roll with it kind of thing. I but, think it had to be yeah, simply it's a strange kind of thing there. There's so much humor oh, in the movie. Is. There really not is. to the point, not to the point where the film it's not becomes, slapstick. No, no, no it's not slapstick. It never makes the, it, the, the humor is never anything that undercuts the seriousness of the plot that's going on. Right, right. It's always well contained within the yeah. characters and within mm-hmm. the situations as something that seems like a natural outgrowth every time. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, Gert Froh plays Max as a very funny character. Not oh, as yeah. a, he's, no, he's not a buffoon. He's not no, a clown. No, he's nothing not, like that. No, but, he's just someone who really yeah. it feels on top of the world because yeah. these planned these planned crimes that they're pulling off, mm. they're pulling off without a freaking hitch. Right. He is on top of the world. Mm. He feels great. He's magnanimous. Mm-hmm. He's very good. He's very good to his... Uh, you feel like his henchmen really like him. Like they're yeah. actually, you know... They yeah. really are glad to see him when he shows up. They like oh. the guy. Mm. And it's easy to see why. Not just because he's a really apparently a really, really damn good cook. Right. Yeah, I know. Everybody's, yeah, he's apparently... That's what, 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 what we can say right here. What Max does in order to get on ships is they'll, they'll eliminate a, a guy who's... They'll find a guy who's supposed to board these oil tankers as a chef, uh-huh. and they will abduct him and do away with him. And then Max will use his ID, and you know, in order to board the ship as the chef, because he actually is really good at it. That allows him to get on the ship and do what they do in order to carry off their heist. 
but he's actually really a great cook too. And so they, they yeah, that's kind of a common. That's the thing that his character that the, and so the henchmen love his cooking. Yeah, and I to, to about this crime. I mean, you're right that they do start off with that great mystery of okay, how the hell are mm. they getting the oil? Yeah, off the tanker. Mm-hmm. And replacing it with salt water, yeah, which is a great mystery. Yeah. And what's lovely is when you watch the film, you realize that they they drop by, clues, they, they drop, drop clues yes, throughout they it because mm-hmm. uh, when when uh, Max and the guys who were on the ship with him come back to the hideout, and he's telling them, you know, they, they say, "Well, how did everything go?" And he's like, "Oh, well, everything went off with a hitch." Well, of course. The ship got into port a, a full twenty four hours late, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's to be expected, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and that's the first, that's the only clue you have that he mm-hmm. that something's uh, that yeah. some, that something's going on there. Wait a minute, mm-hmm. wait a minute. So mm-hmm. they were out to sea a day longer than expected. Right. How mm-hmm. that has to have something to do with it, right? And then mm-hmm. of course later on you find out mm-hmm. that that's true. The uh, the, the let, let, let's 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 tell you I, I, there's so many things that I oh, like I about this movie. I, I really yeah. really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's probably to be expected because I really like the cast. I'm a big fan of John Philip Law. Yeah. The uh, the, the whole idea. Of, I love the Eurospy genre. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. It's... I can see myself sitting down and doing a series of podcasts on Eurospy films. Sure. Just from the just just restrict restrict myself to the bad ones just to have fun instead of just playing around with all the really good ones, but. This is a really fun one. Um, we've talked about the great fights, and we've talked about. Um, there's, a, by the way, there's an absolute. When, once they get to Columbia, there's an absolutely badass car chase. Yeah, there is. There is. I mean, there, there's some stunt driving that goes down in that that mm-hmm. is second to yeah. none. There's yeah. some amazing stuff that goes down in that chase. Oh, and what did you think about? Okay. Out of the uh, out of the blue, there's this weird. The first time they attempt to grab Doctor Justice, yeah, because as we'll as we'll reiterate again, the reason that they go after Doctor Justice is because the guy that they assassinate, who was supposed to pay Max for the oil, you know, the guy that they were going to meet, and he's so he wants him is it, it, is that he wants more. He wanted more. He wanted another more, half a million dollars. Yeah, for being in for on himself. the heist, and so Max orders him executed. And as we as they shoot him. He sees that the this guy says something to Doctor Justice there, and so for that point on, Max and Eric and all them become you know in their group, their gang decide that they want to catch Doctor Justice and find out what he knows because because the, he because may have told somebody he, else or he may like well, or well, he, a, yeah he may know something about their, their next, next job yeah, yeah. so, so they yeah so they decide they're going to try and capture him alive here so yeah this is this scene I go ahead I know what you're oh well the, okay yeah so. Justice is being driven along. He's being driven along by Nashy. Paul Nashy's uh, disguised as a chauffeur or disguised as a cab driver, I guess, whatever. Because yeah, what yeah. it is, is is Karen has sort of worked her way into Dr. Justice's trust because he's obviously likes the ladies and she's very attractive. And so she doesn't have too much trouble with, you know, with kind of leading him. <laughs> yeah. She's arranging things so that he, in order to get to the convention where they're supposed to talk about this population overpopulation problem, uh, the bus is conveniently broken down, you know, for, yep. so she gets him, arranges for him to ride in a cab, and we see that Paul Nashi is, is actually the cab driver. Yeah. And uh, Nashi's driving along through these through these uh, these little streets, yeah. and it looks for all the world like Nashi hits a small child yeah. that's run out in front of the car. Yeah, right. And it's one of those moments of like, oh, You're holy shit. Crap, yeah. Justice jumps out and runs around there, and it's this clockwork doll. Yeah, this little automaton kind of clockwork, you know. And <laughs> it's so bizarre. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a real freak out moment because the way they stage it, it really oh, looks really like looks the car like hits it. a kid. Yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, a kid that's, I guess, would be like, you know, maybe three or four years old. Right. And holy, you know, you get yeah. around there and you're like, holy hell, that's elaborate. And that was just to get the car stopped in this one just, place yeah. so that Wang and some of the other guys could grab yeah. Dr. Justice and that don't work out too right. well. And, but then what's hilarious about that is, I mean, what's, again, this is one of those things where, you know, you just got to roll with it because, and it's easy to roll with it because it fits with the tone of the film. But when the police show up, neither them nor Dr. Justice are seem all that concerned about the fact that a robot child has just walked across the street <laughs> or that he's even been attacked. I mean, he's yeah. just like kind of slings his, you know, you know, he's like, I'm okay, bye, you know, and they're like, okay, you know, it's just like everybody's like, you know. <laughs> well, I, actually, I, mean, I, th- I think what was cool about that scene is that what seems to be going on with the cops mm. is, was there a crime here? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> I mean, we have yeah. a stopped car. There's yeah. no driver around. Yeah. We've got a busted yeah. doll. You say that you kicked some dude's ass. He's like yeah. two to zero or yeah, something like that. Yeah, two to right. He says, yeah. He said it was something like but a that, but training that, or something. Yeah, but, he makes yeah, it sort of quick yeah, like Yeah, he makes like, a quip like, I don't know, this is just yeah. uh, just some impromptu training. <laughs> yeah. And so to my, to my mind, the cops are kind of going, what the fuck do we do here? Yeah. I mean, what, yeah, and he should get the car out of the street. I mean, and if you're Doctor Justice, you know you you should be concerned. You know that they're very obviously somebody set up an elaborate thing to abduct you, but because he's John Philip Law, it's just like oh, another day. And you know, it's just he's just having a great time. I'm at a great time, and I'm just going to go on and go. Well, here's a question usual, for you: know? you. <laughs> Did you get the sense? It, I watched the movie first, and then did some research about this being from a series of comic books. Did you get the sense that Doctor Justice? Was used to dealing with this kind of shit. Well, I, here's that the this, thing. Here's that this what, was not his first adventure. Let's here's, put it that here's way. actually what I was getting was like here's what I was because again, like you, I had no idea it was based on a, that this was an actual character from a comic book or whatever. So, so when they first show him being interviewed by the poolside, they're doing that television interview with yeah, him, which is so cool. When they're showing all of these pictures of him around the world like taking care of all these starving kids and all these, and I'm sitting there thinking this is too good to be true. I'm sitting there thinking that. He's going to end up being, especially when they start talking about this mastermind character, the Regent, you know, and all this. Oh, wow, I actually started really? thinking because oh, all these pictures dark. of him being this worldwide, you know, uh, philanthropist, like Mother Teresa kind of character, almost. You know, I was just like, yeah, this is said that this is too good to be, you know, this is. Then, of course, you know, had I known that he actually that this was part of his character, I probably wouldn't have thought along those lines. But I just kept wondering if that he was something that even Max and the other guys didn't know that he yeah. was actually behind everything or the region i just thought that might be one way it might go you know which because you know i could i could see it as going that direction there but <laughs> that, that wow that's a that would have taken this film into oh, a very dark area yeah yeah well i mean pretty it wasn't too, you know i mean I, I i i didn't you know there was a part in the film where the more it went on the less and less i was but i still still kept it to a point where it could have conceivably still worked out that way you know but but there was a part you know as the film went on less and less did i think that but at first i was just thinking like yeah, I was thinking this guy's too nonchalant about this stuff. You know, this has got to be like something. But like you said, it may be nothing else. Just a case like this is just you know things he deals with every day. <laughs> and 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 if he's based on this and continuing character, he probably does. You know, like yep, this Doctor yep. Just this probably is like you said a Doc Savage, just kind of like this sort of. It's going to shit seems to happen yeah. to him all the time. Yeah. Well, here's the here, well, you mentioned the the TV interview, which I thought was great because we see part of the interview being <laughs> done. And then later on, after after this first failed attempt yeah. by yeah. Max's henchman to, yeah. gra- to yeah. grab Dr. Justice, they come back and they have to tell him, okay, we, we yeah. weren't able to grab him. And, and Max is kind of pissed off and yeah. they turn around and that interview is on the television. So he's like, shuts him up, yeah. listens to the interview and finds out about this guy's like martial, martial arts, arts training, training and yeah. all this stuff. <laughs> Max's reaction is like, God damn it, what the fuck did we end up with our samurai here? What the hell? <laughs> oh, and there's a weird bit of business through this scene here. Did you pick up on that Paul Nash? you through the whole scene is like 
holding some sort of like cloth to his forehead. Oh, I know, to his forehead. And like my, he got, like, which obviously he, he got hurt. That's what I'm thinking. It must mean that, they must mean when he hit that, because he never actually gets out and fights. He's not actually no. involved in the fight. And so first I'm thinking, why is he doing that? He didn't get hurt. And I'm thinking what must have happened was that he's supposed to have hit his, when they when he when he yeah. hit the car, when he hit the, even though he knew, I guess, what was coming, he must have hit his head on the steering wheel or something, but it never shows that in the movie. So for the longest yeah. time I was sitting there like, why does he keep dabbing at his forehead through this scene? You know, but I yeah, think that must just, be what yeah. was planned was that they were pro- they probably even filmed him actually hitting Lacking and somehow head. it didn't make the final edit there where yeah. you don't actually see that happen. Um now this is where Eric is is starts needling the henchmen, calling him girls and all that, you know, because they yeah. couldn't, you know, and he's basically saying, Look, I'm gonna take this over, uh, you know, through using Karen, you know, he's like he's 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 going to he's like I'll he's like I'll get he doesn't say at that point because he doesn't reveal at that point that you know, we still don't find out till the next couple of scenes that Karen is actually working as his girlfriend. But what he basically tells Max is, you know, he says, he says, he says, I'll get uh, Dr. Justice for you. And Max immediately sends one of his other henchmen to follow him. And I love what he says. He says, he's like, uh, he's, he says, because uh, uh, when Max is, I mean, when Eric is leaving and he tells his henchmen to follow him, he just says like, because he's Eric. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like he, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't know that I trust it's, this it's guy. Kinda, I know, it's kind of like he knows this guy, even though he's so, you're so getting the sense that he likes him, but he knows he's kind of a shit too, or he's just like, you know, he's, but I just love the way he's like, just follow him because it's Eric. Je suis heureux de vous présenter un médecin exceptionnel. Il ne se contente pas de conseiller à ses patients de faire du sport. Il en fait lui-même, n'est-ce pas, docteur Eh oui. Vous êtes euh, champion ça, de natation. Pour faire du sport. Et je crois, docteur, que vous êtes aussi un grand spécialiste de karaté. Oui. Oui, en effet, j'ai eu la chance de pouvoir étudier avec le grand Yamuri. C'est un philosophe japonais, grand expert en arts martiaux. Shit On est tombé sur un samouraï. Vous avez parlé d'un philosophe, docteur. Il y aurait donc un rapport entre la philosophie et le karaté. Oui, bien sûr. Le karaté est avant tout une discipline de l'esprit. Tout de même, le karaté, c'est de l'agressivité, de la violence. Non. Le karaté est un art de défense et non d'attaque. Il permet à ses adeptes de combattre la force par la rapidité et la souplesse. Et le karaté, c'est aussi, je crois, une morale. Certes. Mon maître Yamouri m'a appris le vrai courage. Celui qui consiste, disait-il, à faire ce qui est juste. Oh, je t'en foutrais du courage, moi Docteur, à ce congrès de Bruges et à son objet... Ah, vous voulez parler des dangers de la surpopulation. Okay, now, uh, as, as often as we can, in other words, mm-hmm. whenever yeah. we're discussing a film that we yeah. actually have a lot of information directly from Mr. Nashie's mouth, mm-hmm. uh, we, like to, to, we like to quote it here. Right. And uh, I, I will say that uh, there's only like one single line in his uh, autobiog- autobiography about this. Mm-hmm. So, not anything that I could really pull from that book. Right. But, from the Video Ooze interview, where they talked about pretty much every one of his films up to the early 90s, uh, he has this to say about uh, Dr. Justice. He says, Christian Jacques, a French director, called me. I had the opportunity to work with an international cast. It's an action film that had two parts. I was going to play the principal role of the film... But as it coincided with the shooting of, uh, I'm sorry, Death of a Hoodlum. No, okay. It coincided with the shooting of Death of a Hoodlum. I had to take a smaller role. Even so, I was there for five months of shooting. Wow. Now, here's the thing. So he was going to play Dr. Justice? Or does he? That's what he's saying. Wow. Wow. Now, here's the thing. Yes. I'm not sure. He says, I was going to play the principal role of the film. 
I can't picture him as Dr. Justice. I could picture maybe as Max. I could easily picture him as Max. Yeah. So I would love to have gotten the chance to pick pick at that a little bit and go, were you going to be the main character or were you going to be the main villain? Yeah. Because he ends up playing a villain henchman with a much reduced role because, let's be blunt, uh, Nashi's character shows up on screen about five and a half minutes into the movie. And at minute 31, he's yeah. gunned down, coming through a window with a machine gun. <laughs> so that's the extent. Past the 31-minute mark, there ain't no more Nashi in the right, film. Right, But I don't know if that's true, and there's no way... Yeah. I, have, yeah. I have no way of checking it, but yeah. there's something about that that doesn't ring completely true for And by me. the way, in his death scene, all I could think of was... You know, you really picked the worst way to enter that building when there's a gunfight going on that you basically like enter <laughs> through that window with like and you basically make yourself a complete sitting duck. <laughs> it's like not and that, by the way, the let's I just want to once again praise this film's action sequences because that whole machine gun battle in that warehouse. Oh, it's yeah, it's very exciting. Is oh, it's really great. well yeah. coordinated yeah. and there's a there's a thing that really bugs the hell out of me about uh, that that movies will do and you just kind of have to give it to movies mm-hmm. which is somebody will be firing a a machine gun mm-hmm. at a group of people and someone gets hit okay cool but you don't see all of the missed shots yeah. hitting the walls hitting the floors hitting right. whatever they're hiding oh, behind oh right yeah but in this movie i mean mm-hmm. it, it, too often, it, too often it's just sloppy, and yeah. they don't bother to do that. Right. In this movie, no, no, no. There's a lot of bullets hitting, yeah, yeah. hitting walls. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Blowing out yeah. windows and mm-hmm. all kinds of things like that, mm-hmm. and it just adds a lot of realism to mm-hmm. the whole idea that this is a dangerous time. People are really ducking freaking bullets here. This really mm-hmm. adds to that reality. Yeah, and it's and it's really quite nice, and it's also very true uh, in this fight sequence where it really feels dangerous because not only are people getting hit by bullets and and uh, flipped, you know, like, and kind of flipped the ground, but mm-hmm. you know, bricks are getting blown to shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's chewing up walls, you know, walls all over the place. I like that because that takes time and planning mm-hmm. and money, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of movies will just they'll let it fly. And as a movie fan, if the movie's good enough, you're gonna let it go. Yeah. But I like it when it's there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Other with this particular episode, mm-hmm. we have we have another reference book to get into though, which is mm-hmm. that uh, a few years ago, our beloved Elena sent me this mm-hmm. wonderful book mm-hmm. called John Philip Law Diabolic Angel. Yeah, what this is is a long series of interviews uh, conducted with John Philip Law by uh, Carlos Aguilera and Anita Haas. Now, here's the beautiful thing: is it, it's uh, it's both in Spanish and in English. So yeah, luckily, that's great. Yeah, luckily, that's awesome. this sad, sad <laughs> solo language gringo can read the freaking thing, right? And uh, what's great is I, I took the time, sat down, and, fl- and flipped through this, and got got to the passages that are uh, relevant to this particular movie. Um, uh, let's cool. see. Uh, here's here's the first thing. There's this great picture of uh, John Philip Law uh, training mm-hmm. uh, with uh, well with his. Uh, with uh, with his sensei, there's mm-hmm. a picture of the two of them. It says, uh, "The heroic Dr. Benjamin Justice, globetrotter and expert in martial arts, first appeared in the 69th issue of the French magazine for teenagers, Pif Gajit, uh, published in June 1970. Uh, his creators are artist uh, Raphael Carlo Marce- Marcello of Italian origin and the scriptwriter Jean Oliver, both of whom." worked on the film version of the movie. Hmm. Now, uh, there is an interesting story 
mm-hmm. about the making of this movie. Now, okay. at one point, John Philip Law is handcuffed, and it's during this gunfight. He's handcuffed and prisoner in that where that uh, like abandoned warehouse yeah. factory or whatever it is. Yeah, and he escapes. And how he escapes is he climbs up mm. into this uh, abandoned smokestack yeah. and then climbs down the outside of the of the smokestack, mm-hmm. and 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 we watch him do this. Yeah. Well, thereby hangs a tale. Mm, I bet. Uh, the interviewer they're talking about uh, this particular film says uh, they're they're talking about this. It says uh, it was a film version of a very. Uh, this is uh, John Philip Law speaking. He says. Uh, it was a film version of a very popular French comic book character. Uh, Dr. Justice, uh, he says, I like the script. It was clearly inspired by the James Bond films. I had already played two comic book characters in Barbarella and Diabolic, so I accepted, especially because the character was very different. He was a real hero through and through, with no stains to his character. But the film didn't work as well as those of Vadim and Baba, nor as well as the Bond films, of course. Then the, then the uh, interviewer says, uh, mm-hmm. you were almost killed. Mm. And this is John Philip Law relating this story. He says, It was terrible. I had to climb up and down a chimney of about 20 meters, handcuffed. On the first take, everything went perfectly except a cloud got in the way of the sun, so we had to repeat. Mm. On the second take, the film ran out, so we had to repeat it again. It was on the third take that I fell from a height of about 16 meters, crashing through a tile roof onto a concrete floor. Holy crap. I broke my left shoulder ribs, and other bones. Jesus. Months later, when they let me out of the hospital, the filming started up again, and this time they had all the security precautions they should have had from the beginning. I asked if they wanted a repeat performance, and everybody had a good laugh. <laughs> uh, I, so, wonder if that, yeah. I wonder if that explains also why Nashie why, why was over there for five months for such a small role is because of that. I mean, he may have just stayed over there possibly while while John Philip Law was was recuperating from hard to know, maybe, hard but, to know, but yeah. Well, that, when he's when he's climbing down that chimney, you know, you're sitting there thinking that looks like him, and that doesn't look like him. there's any, you know, it's like, and that doesn't look like there's any uh, anything uh, for you know any. This looks like real stunt work. And here. his hand, and his, and he is handcuffed yeah. the whole time. I mean, you're watching the whole thing, and it's like, that's... and there's a couple of times when he slip feet slip off, and it looks like yeah. he's about to fall. I guess that stuff was planned because I thought you were going to yeah. say that that was not that part that he actually no, did no. almost slip. It sounds like that was something they probably just was told him to make it look. Even more, like, you know, it looked like you accidentally slipped, but it sounds like he really did take a, a real fall. Yeah, he really, fall. Fell. He really fell. So, man, yeah. Oh, man. But uh, that's, uh, that's kind of horrifying because the last thing you want is for somebody to be harmed in any way oh, God, yeah. for making a film. I mean, there's, uh, there's, a certain, there, there's a certain amount of, you know, fatigue and, and, and you, know, mm-hmm. s- you know, muscle strain and things mm-hmm. of that that, you, that you're going to run into in almost any job. But mm-hmm. serious injury? No, you don't want that. You don't, you, <laughs> you, you don't want that. Um, well, here's a let me throw out a theory to you. Oh, just sure. some real quick, and I'll just something that uh, just see if you thought about it or not. Um, talking about Eric's character here, yeah. you know, who Eric, you know, betrays Max in pretty much the same way. You know, Eric also, once he and Karen are, you know, capture Dr. Justice, then they they tell Max, you know, that they basically what the initial guy that Max assassinated with, you know, and as uh, is basically, you know, saying we, you know, we're you, you have all this, you know, we, we want this money here. And we'll give you justice. And uh, that's what leads, of course, what he doesn't know is that Max has had Boris follow him and tell him so that Boris yeah. knows where he is. And that's when Max brings his henchmen there to, and they recapture Dr. Justice and Eric gets killed. I know earlier we had talked about, we are saying like, okay, this seems really, Eric has just seen what Max did to the first guy that tried to 
betray him, and then he does the same thing. I actually found myself wondering, uh, thinking that maybe, like, who was it who told Max that their initial contact was, was demanding oh, more yeah. money? It was it Eric. Was Eric. It was yeah. Eric. We never have any proof at all that the guy they actually assassinated actually was demanding more money. So my so, theory is that it's cool that they never really revealed it. It's just something that may or may not have happened. But you're right, I'm thinking yeah. that Eric set that guy up to see what Max's response would be. Uh-huh. And when he sees that Max would have him assassinated, then he comes up with this other plan where he'll capture justice and keep him someplace where Max doesn't know where he was. And it could have worked had not Max already suspected him, you know, of double yeah. double play and, and, and sent someone to follow him. So and, and it never reveals that, but I'm just I just kinda wonder if that was something maybe that we were supposed to wonder about is like really Eric is the only person that we ever get this word from that the first guy is is trying to blackmail Max. That is a damn fine theory. And, and Eric seems be a clever honest, enough think, and calculating enough character to have yeah. done that kind of thing. Well, he's, thought of that. Max is, uh, Hugo Blanco plays him as a very clever, mm-hmm. smart man mm-hmm. who unfortunately just made that one error that yeah. gets him killed. Right. And so him having orchestrated the first the first death mm-hmm. isn't much of a stretch yeah. at all. That's a, yeah. that's a, that yeah. sounds that sounds pretty good to me. I think you may be right. You may be onto something there. Okay, now you talk about you've talked about how there are a couple of things in the film that you just kind of have to give to the film. Uh-huh, yeah, and that and that's true of almost sure. any Euro spy film. Yeah, it's oh, true. Yeah, hell, it's true of a <clears throat> yeah. number of Bond films. Let's be honest. Oh God, yeah. Uh, unless you honestly believe that James Bond can walk across the back of alligators, but the <laughs> <laughs> there's a moment where uh, Max and his and his crew have Justice and um, uh, Karen and. Mm. They drug them with a truth serum to get them to, to, to find out whether or not they either of them actually knew about the, any of the details about what's going to be their second big oil theft. Right. And uh, so they drug them with, in the food. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks to them, finds out that the sodium they, pentothal gives them, yeah, the truth drug. Truth well, they, they never say it's sodium pentothal. And here's the thing that you kind of have to give the movie. Mm-hmm. Because afterwards, he's like, okay, well, they don't know anything. Um we don't, that means you know, that means yeah. we don't have to kill them. So fine. Uh, and then one of the henchmen goes, "Wait a minute! Yeah, you do have to kill them. You just questioned them about mm-hmm. this. So now they know there's going to be a second, mm-hmm. a second crime, just like the other oil steal, the other oil theft." Right. And he goes, "No, no, no, no. That this is this is the improvement with this drug is that they're not going to remember any of the oh, right. it's gonna while they're under. Yeah, yeah. And it's like. Okay, so that's the thing you gotta gotta give the film. Is sure. This isn't sodium pentothal. They never call yeah. it that. This yeah. isn't the kind of a standard movie, tr- you know, truth serum thing. Yeah. So this is something else. This is some new thing, <laughs> and you have to give yeah. it to them yeah. so that he has no reason to just immediately kill these two characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those. Yeah, that's, sure. That's okay. kind yeah. of a standard thing. No, you're right. Within, yeah. within the structure of these kind of films. Yeah. It's like okay, they're completely at. Uh, his uh, mercy. Mm-hmm. He's not killed them yet because he's got to find out if they know know any of this, any anything like this. Because if they do, mm-hmm. then they could have told somebody else, and he could be screwed. But then once he mm-hmm. has the information he needs, he doesn't really have a reason to keep them alive, unless mm-hmm. 
he has a reason to not worry about them anymore. Right, right. Or he has some secondary use for them. Yeah, because he keeps referring to him as hostage. Like, yeah. he knows, for one thing, Dr. Justice being an would internationally yeah, would definitely renowned be a good hostage, person right. that he keeps. Yeah, there's several times in the film where, where they where they kind of mention that, you know, he's a good hostage for this. Right. So, yeah. And that, and that makes perfect sense. It does, because yeah. Because until, as things go along, Max finally gets to the point where he's like, I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> I want to kill this son of a bitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I mean, of course, by then, it's, it's it, you know, several yeah. different cats have come out of the bag. Yeah. And he, yeah. he's, he's going <laughs> to... And the, the second, the, let's just say that the second oil uh, mm. theft mm. Uh, gets, uh, let's just say it hits a few snags. Yeah. And most of them have Dr. Justice's name written all over them. So. <laughs> well, uh, um, I guess, uh, can I go ahead and get to my most go with it sort of point of the whole film? Sure. That I thought was, that? Which is, uh, okay, uh, now is there anything you want to say before we say that? Uh, as Justice and Karen end up escaping from this, where they were, yeah, Max yeah. is going to be Go ahead, okay. go ahead, yeah. So they manage to, so Justice manages to to break up, you know, to get them free using her bracelet to to, you know, he gets him to take him to the bathroom, let him go to the bathroom where he he uses this bracelet he took from Karen to, you know, manage to free himself, you know, and uh-huh. and and he manages to find his way out. Um, here's a part where you know he and Karen run off. Uh, they this is where he has uh, now this is where he has the 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 uh, the really awesome fight with Wang. The second most yes. off, that's the really awesome. That's fight. a really great fight. Okay, and uh, okay, so this is the classic movie moment where you're like, take the gun, you know, and then they they leave oh, them, they, they drop the you know they they leave the machine yeah. gun there, you know, behind. But there's a reason for that because they do this little chase across the dunes, you know, with Wang and another guy and there's several of Max's henchmen chasing them. And they end up on what would you call these things? Buggies, little dune buggies, little oh, strange no, no, little. No, no, no. They're, they're what are they called? Not, there's a not, catamaran. There's there like a almost a catamaran, but they're, 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 they're yeah. the things. And I don't know the names of them. I meant to look okay. the name of the fucking things up. Yeah. They're the they're, they have wheels, but they are they're, they uh, they have sails. It's almost like a. It's not windsurfing, right? Because you don't go into the water in them. They're wheeled things. They're mm. they're built to be pulled mm. along along mm-hmm. uh, along the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's this there's this chase between. Wang, Doctors, yeah, yeah. Doctor Justice and Karen are being chased by Wang, Wang and the other guy. Okay, now early on, as they just as they start to the chase, you know, Wang tries to fire at him, and you realize his pistol's empty. Well, that's very convenient too because he can't shoot at him. So basically, he and his buddy have to chase Doctor Justice chase and Karen down, yeah. using these these using these two little racing down the beach. They can't actually fire at each other. Uh, there's no actual dangerous terrain anywhere around. There's mm-hmm. a, basically this is the least death defying, least terrifying chase in, in film history. But because of the tone of this film, I actually found myself just laughing at it, you know, like oh, yeah. it, it fit with the tone because I, it was almost to me like they were like, okay, in James Bond, they've chased on, on motorboats and they've, you know, done all these chases <laughs> on, you know, we got to have a chase on something. We'll have them chase on these buggies, but okay, we can't, because the buggies can only go so fast and go so close to each other, we can't have them have, they can't actually have guns to fire at each other. So we've got to get rid of that. They can't actually do anything, you know, where again, there's no chance of them even like, you know, there's no terrain that they could wreck on. I mean, I mean, to me, it's like I said, it's like the and, and you know, and of course, the car chase that follows later, as we talked about, is really awesome with all this death-defying stunt work. But oh, right know. here, there, I was just laughing. There's, because... no, there's no need of <laughs> of any kind of suspension of disbelief during yeah. that final car, during that second car. That car yeah. chase is freaking amazing. But in this is just like <laughs> it was just I was just laughing because I was like, but it fit totally with the breezy tone of the film. Yeah. You know, it was just like okay, we're having a chase here that there's really just like zero chance for anybody to really be hurt very much by it. You know, and finally know. it ends up. When Wang, they go, they they end up running into the waves basically, yeah. and they run into the ocean, and Wang just kind of shakes his fist at him. So it's truly, it's totally a lighthearted comic kind of chase. That's really just to have a chase. It's like a chase for chase sakes, but that's cool because again, it, it doesn't, it's not out of place in a film 
like this anyway. You know? well, what's so weird though is that um, you're right that that chase. You do, you, that is one of those that you kind of got to give it because it's a movie. Yeah, and actually, and if you were talking about trimming the film, you could have almost just almost, taken that yeah. section out and yeah. just had them escape after they oh, overpower yeah, Wang they, and the rest they, of them. They, they've, they've been firing at them along the beach. <clears throat> right. And uh, once again, they go out of their way to actually have the bullets hitting the yeah, sand yeah, and hitting yeah, near them and sure. things like that. Yeah. And then once they're once they're out of bullets and they're out of range, you could have just cut yeah. there. And it is refreshing to see a gun always to actually run, that does run out of bullets when it should, you know. So <laughs> yes. I've got no complaints about that <laughs> instead of firing endlessly, you know, when it passed the, you know. Yeah, so. and, it, 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 and it was also great because at that point, it's obvious that he just ran out of the house with the first gun he could grab. Yeah. And yeah. now he's so far away. Yeah, it's not like he can go back from no, the weapons. Exactly. He's yeah. they're going to so, be yeah. gone at that point. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, so the logic of everything works out. It, it, you're right, but <laughs> the, the the whole thing with them, you know, like batting against each other in <laughs> yeah. these in these uh, these uh, bizarre wave, you know, these bizarre sailed craft. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't know that we describe these things effectively, but you yeah, know, pick, picture uh, uh, pick, picture something that is. Pulled along by a sail, but is yeah. on land, and yeah. I can't remember and the freaking and it's, and it's so low to the ground that it's not really even going to turn over. Really, it's so yeah. it's so it's so low to the you know, to, and and even the beach they're on, like I said, it's just totally flat, you know, sand. But uh, but yeah, that was a, that was just yeah, that was. A I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. you see what I mean. But <laughs> well, here's um, we we can t- we can t- we can talk about. Uh, I don't I don't necessarily want to spoil this because right I, yeah it's I mean there's, I think there's it some is nice a, little I think it is a really great film and it's one that I I hope that we can bring some attention to because wow this yeah. is one that I hope I hope people see whether they're uh, Nashy fans or not if you're just if you're just a well first of all if you're a John Philip Law fan or if you're the least bit curious about the Euro spy movies of of, uh, of uh, the 60s mm-hmm. and I guess now we can might as well just say some of the 70s stuff as well mm-hmm. this is something that's going to be right up your alley and yeah it, it really is a lot of fun and it's it well is. worth seeking out. Uh, like I say, I am told that there is an English language version of this out there, but I couldn't locate one. I couldn't even find an English really, language. Really? Yeah, I, lo- I couldn't yeah, find I can, anything. Yeah. Um, well, it seems to be subtitled well. I mean, the subtitles are very well done. Yeah, it's a fan but it would it's be a fan great to, sub Yeah, thing. I would love to hear a dubbed version just to see yeah. how it came off, like how it was dubbed for, yeah. for here, you know, would have been... the. Uh, the the film to me is just an absolute blast. It is me too, and uh, I gotta say this one part. This won't give away any 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 plot twist here, but I just had to to give the filmmaker, the director, uh, just to, or to whoever, whether it was in the script or whatever, whoever came up with this. I just thought I had one of the best fake outs. At least it faked me out totally. Is uh, uh, there's a part this won't give away too much because you can figure that you know obviously you know Doctor Justice is going to end up trying to foil Max's next heist you know so yeah. they both end up in the same place together and and max has thought that he thought that he's thought that he's left dr justice in the hands of his henchmen and max is already on the next where the next heist is going to be and dr justice takes great pleasure in showing up there and not trying to hide at all but just like you know being right hey, in his here face. I am. Yeah. yeah being right in his face in a way that that yeah. max can't do anything about right it. Yeah. and and he's also got Max now has teamed up with he and Karen have kind of bonded now, you know, yeah. basically, and they're kind of working together to try and stop Max. And so Karen is stowed aboard the ship too, and she tells Max, I mean, she tells Doctor Justice after he's seen Max, and uh, you know, and he's very proud of the fact that he's he knows he's upset, you know, he knows he's got Max worried, but she says something to the effect of, you know, don't don't underestimate him, he'll stop at nothing. And the very next scene is you see a door open and a snake starts to slither through, you yeah. know, and what you, and you're sitting there and you're thinking like, oh, this is the classic thing of, you know, 
you know, that somebody's releasing, it's always like a tarantula or a poisonous snake into. Uh-huh. And so you think this, and Max has, of course, released this poisonous snake into Dr. Justice's cabin. And then, and we follow the snake for a minute there, and, and then suddenly we cut back, and, and it turns out that the whole crew is sitting watching a movie of, you know, of yeah. the snake. And I just, I, I thought, what a, that's thought that was a brilliant, brilliant <laughs> fake out, because at least it faked me out. I mean, I was totally well, weird, good, yeah. I was just like, oh, he's releasing the poison snake into, yeah. into Dr. I mean, Justice's cabin. It's, and then it's, it's just, very intentional. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, again, it has nothing really to do with the plot other than this, that I just love the way that they knew what you are going to automatically, that you would, you've seen enough of these films that you automatically are going to know what you think's going on, and then the fact that just cuts back out and they're all just sitting watching a home movie on a there is so Mm. much to praise in this movie yeah yeah. i was kind of i was kind of stunned honestly uh when i looked it up on imdb and and the rating for it on imdb is like a 4.2 or something like that you know it could be one of those cases where i think a lot of times i think sometimes people go into a movie when they've seen so many films of a certain genre that maybe they just you know, I mean, I'm just, I have no idea who's putting these ratings up here, but I figure if they're delving this deeply into watching this film, they're probably Euro, Euro, European film fans, or they're probably people who are used to watch, they've probably seen a million Euro spy films, and maybe to a certain point, like, you know, maybe they just go into it a little bit uh, thinking they've seen it all at this point, and maybe not really taking maybe. it on its own merits, because, yeah, to me, I mean, it just, I mean, we, you and I, of course, we had no idea what we were getting into. I had read, no, you, no. we knew nothing about this film. Uh, and I just found it an incredibly enjoyable experience. I just found it just a lot of fun. I mean, this is definitely a film I can see myself, you know, watching oh, again re- from time to this time. Is, this you know? is a movie that I will probably end up showing mm-hmm. other people. Yeah, on, yeah. Just because, I mean, I know for a fact that I have friends that will enjoy that. That would enjoy the hell out of this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, uh, on the on that uh, mm-hmm. on that note, what did you end up giving it on the one to ten scale? I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a really? seven. On that. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I ended up giving it an eight. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed I it that, that much. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I it's... was going a little back back and forth between a seven and an eight, and mm-hmm. on the rewatch while I was sitting and making notes, mm-hmm. uh, after watching it a second time, I was like, "No, man, this is mm-hmm. too damn much fun." Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a complete blast. Yeah. I enjoyed this mm-hmm. the whole time. And like I say, the only. The only downside to it, to my mind, really, is just, just maybe could just, little, it just could need just a be a little bit mm-hmm. shorter, not much, mm-hmm. because I got to thinking about it as mm-hmm. I had the idea of it could be a little bit shorter. I started thinking, well, what would I trim? Mm-hmm. And it's like maybe I would trim that chase on the beach yeah. like we were just yeah, talking yeah, about, yeah, yeah, and maybe just like tighten up a few scenes every now and yeah, then. Yeah, but then I think about, well, I wouldn't want to eliminate any of the cool ass dialogue from Max because mm-hmm. all that's really neat. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. The uh, dialogue's another thing too. I mean, the dialogue is really solid in the film. Yeah. And like I said, the great scenes there, where uh, you've got the dual characters of Max and Doctor Orwell and their interactions and their yeah. scenes with with uh, Doctor Justice are a lot of double kind of meanings to things that make can make you either believe one thing or another. We don't yeah. want to give away too much yeah. because it's part of the twist there. But it's again when you go back the second time and you watch them. You realize how clever the dialogue is in in, in, in being the things that you could read two different ways, you know, yeah, depending yeah. on what you think is going on. Well, another thing to praise about this film is it's shot on these a lot of amazing locations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they apparently mm-hmm. even went to Colombia to shoot the sequences that take place in Colombia. Yeah, which is bizarre. Which means they really had a they really had a mm-hmm. budget for this thing of some uh, of some. Mm-hmm. Decent amount, yeah. And uh, the 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 final act takes place in this uh, this really amazing castle. I'm not sure where the hell the castle mm-hmm. was. I'm I'm assuming it's somewhere in France, mm-hmm. but it's just absolutely. Mm-hmm. All, all, it's it's one of those films that I'm sure I'm sure some of it was shot on sets, but they're very well matched, and mm-hmm. all the location work is amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a part of me there was a years ago when they started putting a lot of Euro crime films out on DVD back about I don't know the early 2000s mm-hmm. 
there was a there was one that came out that was uh, and now I can't remember which one it was. I think it may be like uh, thirty eight special squad or something like that. I can't remember. This this upsets me that I can't remember which one it is. Mm-hmm. But it was a solid movie. Mm-hmm. But the standout thing in the movie, and I showed my girlfriend at the time. I was watching it. And she yeah. came home from work, mm-hmm. and I said, "I got to show you this one scene in the movie." Mm-hmm. And it's just astonishing. Not not really a car chase. It's a, a cop gets in a car. He's got to, he, he realizes he's got to be someplace that's completely across town. Yeah. As fast as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And it's not a chase so much as you're watching this cop drive like a fucking maniac mm-hmm. to get to where he thinks he needs to be. And that se- section of the film is like no other section, no, no other part of the film is just standout. It's one of these things. At one point, he's like driving onto a train, oh, onto the flat, you know, like yeah. a couple of flatbed cars of a train <laughs> to get where he wants to go and it's just nice. I mean you just sit there yeah. with your eyes bugging out of your head <laughs> and it's kind of disconcerting because it doesn't fit the rest mm-hmm. of the movie mm-hmm. but it's still amazing mm-hmm. but the car chase that astonishing car chase in this that takes place in Colombia, fits the film and is even yeah. more impressive it for all really, of that it is really great yeah yeah I really liked it it's a it, it it's it's a blast of a movie and it's one that I would recommend if you're a James Bond fan, mm. if you're a person who's watched every James Bond movie yeah. multiple times and mm. you you've delved a little bit into uh, other you know other kinds of Euro spy stuff or no Euro spy stuff at all, this would be a pretty good place to start. This would be a movie I'd be comfortable handing to you on a DVDR and saying, yeah. mm-hmm. check this out and have fun with it. Yeah. This take you know this came, you know think of the Roger Moore era Bond stuff and try this. And I think people get Agreed. a kick out of it. I think yeah. it's a blast. I think so. I think it is too. Very, yeah, I give it, yeah, like I said, I, I, my, the seven I gave it is a very, very high, very strong one. Very highly regarded, very, very highly recommended. So. Hell of a good movie. Hell of yep. a good movie. Yep. All right, folks. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break. We will come back and we will discuss. Uh, let's see, we'll, we'll see what we got in the mailbag. We'll discuss what we're doing next month. And uh, then we will uh, talk to you about, uh, I don't know, a few other things too. Yep. Are you tired of the same old pop culture podcast? Do you listen to those other podcasts and think to yourself, why don't they talk about the things I'm interested in? Hi, I'm Reverend Scott, and when I want to listen to a couple of guys with their appendages on the pulse of pop culture, penis, I listen to the Are You Serious podcast. Hear news about politics and religion where hosts Chris and Frank ask the tough questions. If you woke up with a cock in your mouth, would you take it or leave it? Yeah, exactly. How big is the cock? <laughs> You'll hear entertainment news about your favorite movies and TV shows, plus plain old wholesome discussion about the lives of Chris and Frank. So, I mean, now I am like tattooed. It's weird. It's like I've, I guess I should explain what I got. Yeah. It's three swastikas. Each one interconnected <laughs> to look like a smiley face. And on my left arm is cock and balls. And you notice I looked at my right Character arm. Character from said an old that. Disney film. It's the prequel to Song of the South. Exactly. I have, it's um, called Song of the Cock and Balls. It sounds like this. So when you think pop culture podcast, remember this. What's that thing between the dick and the asshole? The Are You Serious Podcast on iTunes or areyouseriouspodcast.com. So, last time, 
while we were uh, in such a hurry to get all of our brilliant observations out and everything, we <laughs> we neglected. Uh, Dan asked us a question after Dan did his segment. This was on the last Nashi cast. Uh, during that segment, he had asked a question of us, and we actually forgot to get around to answering it. And the question was, uh, what was the first album that we each owned or each bought with our own our own money? Right. So uh, um, I'm going to start here. We're going to reveal these things, and I'm going to start with actually the first album that I bought with my own money was "Dress to Kill" by Kiss. Oh yeah, okay. And the reason that I uh, now I had um, I bought it without having heard a note of their music uh, because I really I, yeah my bro- older brother of course had had I, I was a total rock and roll addict uh, because my older brothers you know always and you know we were we kept borrowing. We would always borrow the rock and roll albums from my my older aunts and uncles who were like teenagers at this time, and they were young, you know, young adults. They were buying all the cool albums by Jimi Hendrix and you know, and all this stuff, Led Zeppelin, all this stuff, just as they were hitting the stores. And so we would borrow them from them. So we were checking out all these rock records, and and uh, my brother would always, well, you know, we would always get like uh, uh, the magazine Circus and Cream and Hit Parader, the rock and roll magazines, and I kept seeing pictures of this band Kiss. Because as Gene Simmons once famously said, you know, rock journalists can hate us or love us, but they always have to print a picture of us. And he was exactly right. You know, yeah, they always did. Yeah. So there was so these magazines would always have these pictures of Kiss, and I just thought they looked great because they were kind of like the same way that David Bowie struck me the first time as somebody who merged all these things that I loved into one. You know, David Bowie was like an an alien. You know, like a science, something out of a science fiction movie yeah. that also made great rock and roll. Well, Kiss, I was looking at these pictures. These, these are like superheroes, you know. It showed them all <laughs> posing on the streets of New York. And I was like, you know, these are like these are like guys out of comic books that are also doing rock and roll. So I had not heard of, but I had not yet seen them on any of the like midnight special or rock concert or the late night shows that would have bands that we'd watch. And I'd not, so I hadn't even seen them, any footage of them, hadn't heard any of their music. I think when, you know, Dressed to Kill was out at the stores and... The radio was probably just starting to play rock and roll all night, which would kind of be their first radio hit, but I had not heard it. So, so, but that was the album that you know I saved up my allowance over several weeks, and that was that that was the uh, first time I had saved my money for an album. And I, I remember buying it in a local uh, downtown Nashville department store music section, probably uh, probably Harvey's. Harvey's always had a good uh, uh, record record section. And so the first song I actually heard by Kiss was "Room Service," which kicks off that album. <laughs> uh, and but so I was happily, you know, you know. Luckily, it did turn out to be really great music, and I, I became a huge Kiss fan. Uh, of course, what really did it, both for me and for Kiss, was uh, Kiss Alive came out shortly after that, which is the the album that really sent them over the edge. You know, really started uh, uh, their popularity and, and growing and taking it to another level. But uh, yeah, that was that was that was the first album that uh, you know I had a, I had some albums in my possession that had been given to me by other people. In fact, the first album I could say I own that was mine was a Paul Revere and the Raiders album oh, okay. uh, because where we lived in, uh, uh, here, uh, where we lived, um, well, which is actually that house there, the people that lived <laughs> in, yeah, it's a long story, folks. I'm actually living next door to the house that I was born in, but we won't get into that right now. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the people who lived in this house that I'm living in right now on that side of this duplex They here, still have yeah. the, the eggshells from which he has. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, they were having a party. They had a little kid, and they were having all the neighborhood kids over for a, you know, have a party. And they must have been like young hippie parents or whatever because they had, they had these bags, grab bags like prizes that, you know, that kids could 
you know, you could reach in and pull out your own prize, and, and don't worry, there wasn't like any LSD or anything was, in there. But, but you know, I was about to say the way you were leading up there, I thought, are you telling no, me they I'm were not, like? I'm not sure what they put. Yeah. Of grass. <laughs> I'm not sure what they put in the punch and the brownies. I do remember having a really good time at that party, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But the next day was really weird. But anyway, when I got to reach into my bag and pull out my prize, it was it was actually a Paul Revere and the Raiders album. So that's the first time I, that technically was mine. But uh, I consider cool. Dress to Kill the one that I actually worked for. You know, that's the important one. The one you actually. <laughs> Not that I worked for it, I just got it because existing another week. I just got it because I lived another week and got allowance for, you know, got a weekly allowance because I didn't step in front of a car like the automaton and, and Dr. Justice, you know. I did, there not for, grow, I did not grow up with an allowance. I'm always kind of stunned by the whole idea. The whole concept of, yeah. oh, I, we're going to pay you for being alive another well, week. I didn't I get, a, I didn't well, get, it's not to say I didn't make myself useful sometimes, uh, but I wasn't very useful. My parents weren't real strict, so. I didn't get an allowance until... Um, high school and it was weird because I was I went to boarding school in ninth, in ninth and tenth grade people Rod was sent away to boarding school it was not done as some kind and of well deserved I might say <laughs> it was not done as some kind of punishment and let by that the be way. a lesson to you <laughs> yeah it was uh, it was done because I was uh, um, I'd been placed into uh, some gifted classes and things like this and they decided to my parents decided to spend the money to send me to a school that might uh, do me a little bit better than the public schools that yeah. were available where yeah. we where we lived. Sure. And so, uh, for two years, I was in boarding school, and uh, before they realized, wow, this is costing a shit ton of money, <laughs> and we're not going to do this anymore. Yeah. But uh, they the the school kind of had it set up so that you actually did get an allowance. Mm. Your parents like put this money in a fund, I and they you. gave you a certain amount. I think it was like ten bucks. I can't remember yeah. ten or. I can't remember how much it was, mm-hmm. but I remember it was it was enough to like to like go out on the weekends and like go to the movies and mm-hmm. go and do a few things and this that or the other. Yeah. And at the time, it was even enough to like pick up a cheap paperback book or anything cool. like that. But I never had an allowance. But mm-hmm. I have drifted away from what the original question was. Yes. The well, first, I just, I just want to say I hope they caned you regularly there at the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the much caning. School. Much caning was that okay? Uh, I lived in a dormitory, so of course there was much, much mm-hmm. horrible, horrible yeah. rape, buggery, and caning, <laughs> caning, and yeah. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, but boys are so cruel, <laughs> so so cruel. Oh, the dagger fights! I know Harry Flashman was after you constantly. Ah, uh, yes, I like once bullying. I once escaped, but was taken down by the school leopard. <laughs> but it doesn't. The, uh, but nevertheless, the uh, never having had an allowance uh, when I earned money by by like mowing my grandmother's yard and things like that. What mm-hmm. I was trying to as a kid to earn money for was to buy comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember pushing it fucking lawnmower and just thinking yeah. no if you earn this money you can you get can that get giant it. size conan comic book the big the big one that costs two dollars and fifty cents <laughs> so the, the when i finally got when i finally bought uh my first album i can't remember if i had any other albums before this one yeah i know i had some 45s but the first one i bought is and i think i've talked about this on the podcast before uh i, I bought elton john's greatest hits mm, good choice and it is a good choice. Good don't choice. get me wrong. There's oh, yeah. a phenomenal amount of good music on that, but at the same time, it's it's much more much much more of an embarrassment to me as a music fanatic now mm-hmm. because it was a greatest hits album. Oh, yeah. And well, that that I see is what you're saying, but yeah, it's 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 that kind of thing where um, if if it had been Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel I feel like someone who could stand up proudly and go, "Yes, my first purchase was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road." <laughs> well, I mean, for me, one I mean the the uh, one of my favorite, very favorite albums from my childhood was a Guess Who Greatest Hits album. And you know, if something, yeah. if the first exposure you have to any band, it might as well be an album if that's the first time you're 
yeah. your exposure to a band is through a greatest hits to you it is an album you know that's what your first so you know yeah I mean I, I definitely true, know that true. you know what that's what, what you're well it's like a, well, I'm reminded of the uh, <clears throat> the, the draw and the pull that a lot of Beatles fans feel toward the the Red and the Blue albums, yeah, right, the, uh, those yeah. double albums, they were double albums, they were both of them, yeah, which is just really compilations mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. lots of songs from previous albums. But so many but people had those albums. So many had them. so many people had them, and so many of those songs. I think that may have been. I'm not a I'm not a, a fanatical Beatles mm-hmm. fan mm-hmm. who knows all these facts, and I'm probably getting these wrong, but I think. Those red and blue albums were the first time some of those songs had gotten released. Yeah, because so many of those, yeah, because so many of those songs had just come out as singles only, you right, know, and right. so it was their first time to be released at least on a vinyl, you know, on, on some kind of on full LP, album compilation. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, no, that's that's right. I mean, those so so many people identify with those albums as their exposure, their introduction to the Beatles. And another example of this, I was just talking to somebody about this uh, the other day, was my introduction to the Rolling Stones was not any particular Rolling Stones classic, you know, single album. But my brother had the Hot Rocks collection, which is the double yeah, double, yeah. which is one of the greatest uh, uh, greatest a great hits. Com- it's a, it's a, great a double album, yeah. and I listen to that thing just so much. And it's, it's I mean, it's the perfect thing if you want to give anybody who is not familiar with the Rolling Stones. It's the album that you could give them as the perfect introduction to them. And and then if you get later on, as I started collecting records myself. I got the more Hot Rocks double album, which was, you know, so many of the other stuff that had kind of been the yeah. weird, the more psychedelic and the odd kind of left and right turns they did outside of the, you know, and you put those, you put those two albums together, the two Hot Rocks collections, and they're, fan, they're, 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 they're all, you're almost like all you need to know about the Rolling Stones, you know, or like on those, on those, you know, the two, you know, as it's much true. as I love, then of course later I got all their individual albums, but that was, that was my introduction to them, and I think it was a perfect one there. It was, it was well, I never bought Hot Rocks, but I had, my, I had a cousin who had Hot Rocks, and that was probably my introduction to the Stones as well, yeah. at least outside of hearing them on the radio. Right, right, sure, yeah. But when I, um, to me, that is in a way kind of a joyful way to, to get into a band, mm-hmm. because then when you start actually delving into their albums, they're, there are all these amazing songs that you've never mm-hmm. heard before. Right? Yeah. There, yeah. there, there are all these. I, I'll never forget the first time I sat down and listened to uh, "Some Girls" mm-hmm. or "Sticky Fingers" or "Exile on Main Street" and realized, wow, there are really yeah. awesome songs on here yeah. that I have never heard in my life. Well, it's the thing you always want to do to people. Anybody who says, you know, oh, I'm sick of the Stones. I'm sick of the Beatles. I mean, that's the that's yeah, what you're you sick, want to you're show. Sick them, the 20, you're sick exactly, of the twenty. You're sick of the twenty songs. You're sick of what radio is ba- beating yeah. you over the head with, and all. But uh, both those bands, yeah, they need to sit down and they need to hear these songs that between the tracks, between the hits, yeah. you know, these the stuff that, that that they're not as familiar with. So, but boy, have we have we gone astray? Yeah. Well, we? anyway, yeah. So Dan, uh, sorry you had to wait a, a month or two to hear uh, the answer to your question, <laughs> but that's. <laughs> So shall we dip into the the deep? Uh, let me let me lower me into the mailbag and let me how, sift how, through. Uh, how, how far are we into the mailbag? Let me see. Let's see. Uh, we are. Yeah. What do we got there? We have a grand total of one letter to read this this month. Oh, so people! Uh, I know we. I know that the Nashi Cast feed has been. I mean, we've been taking a break to do the occasional Godzilla episode, but come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got, we got, we got. Fuck all for uh, what was it? Vampires Night Orgy. I thought that would like just. You know, I thought that would light everybody up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe everybody just accepts that that's a great film and there's nothing to discuss about it. But uh, anyway, this but this was a very cool cool letter. This is from Al, and Al says, "Howdy, Rod and Troy. My name is Al, and I'm writing to you from Northern Italy. 
but before moving here, I lived oh. in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, for 19 years. So that explains the howdy, you know, when he, when, you, when you first serve. I'm <laughs> wait, wait, he's living in Italy, Northern Italy, and he says howdy, you know. But this is why, because he's actually from our own Tennessee here. He says before moving here, I lived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, for 19 years, so we were practically neighbors. Wow. Uh, he says I've been a fan of Giallo movies for years, and I discovered Paul Nashi a few months ago when I saw Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. A little googling and clicking led me to Nashi Cast, and soon enough. I was seeking out more and more of Nashi's films. While the special antenna has helped me out a lot, last week I decided I just had to have certain ones on DVD, and they arrived today, see enclosed picture. He sent. He says, El Comandante and Inquisition are both the Spanish releases, while The Hanging Woman and The Hunchback of the Morgue are the Italian releases. And yeah, he sent a JPEG with all four of the video covers, and they're all just like a great cover art. Wow. Here. Um, uh, he says, uh, anyway, thank you both for doing Nashi Cast and introducing me to the wonderful Nashiverse. You can definitely chalk me up as another convert. And then in the, actually, Al and I exchanged a couple more emails because uh, he sent another email basically saying that, uh, when, you know, when we did uh, uh, My Friend the Vagabond and I made the little joke about how the guy, the Vagabond, looked like Uncle Don Clark, you know, that's in my band, you know, that I'm in <laughs> band uh, in the Secret Commonwealth with. Well, as you might figure, Al living in Murfreesboro as long as he did, he actually knows Uncle Don very well. And so he responded to yeah. that saying after he heard that in the podcast, he said, hey, I, I know Uncle Don, so... Yeah, it's a uh, man. I hate the fact that we were all in Murfreesboro at the same time, and he would have loved coming over to Jack's and uh, and yeah. uh, watch if he Good was more. a Jallo fan and you know and into, into obscure films like that. But uh, it's interesting that he uh, had to move all the way to Italy to discover us there. But that's uh, but that's cool though. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Al, and thanks for sending that. Yeah, I'm uh, jealous yes. of these. Thank you, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I well, um, I would love to know why he's in Italy now. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. He's, uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, how he did end up there. Would be an interesting story. Al, and, uh, when, when and if you hear this, uh, mm-hmm. write us back, or maybe we should just yeah, reply to his know. reply to his email. What are you doing in Italy? Yeah, <laughs> or if you can't tell yeah. us, uh, mm-hmm. you know, please don't kill us if you can't tell us. <laughs> Could and, uh, be some super secret Doctor mm-hmm. Justice style thing. Who knows? And now I have to. I also want to ask uh, Al. Um, are these releases, these four DVDs, these two Spanish ones and two Italian releases, are they subtitled? Or now, I'm you probably, living in Italy, you probably understand the language, but uh, but I'm wondering if you if either if any of these are subtitled. I'd be really interesting to know if any of these are English subtitled, or if you've just watched them and if you speak both Spanish and, and Italian. Um, but anyway, yeah, thanks. Very cool. Thanks for the message there. Oh, I would just like to say we mm-hmm. uh, that that is all we have in the mailbag, but I do. I would like to point out that uh, our dear friend, uh, our dear friend Elena, decided that it was uh, it was going to be fun to uh, rub our nose in the fact that uh, today she was on the phone and spoke with uh, Eugenia Martin. Oh wow, wow! Hmm. Um, trying to find the, I'm trying to find the the email from her because mm-hmm. she just decided to uh, <clears throat> to to mess with me about it, or to <laughs> mess with us all about it, and. Uh, she she was calling up to talk to Lone Fleming and ended up speaking with him, mm-hmm. and I was just like, what the what the hell? Why, damn it! Why why do I end up <laughs> knowing about this stuff but not being but able being to, so powerless to uh, so helpless to yes, being so <laughs> helpless in the face of all encompassing evil, but. Uh, <laughs> But you know, she living in Spain, her her her, her She's opportunities. She's got connections, man. She's got yeah. Well, yeah, I sent her. I sent her back an email. She, she hasn't just replied bumps into these yet. I just wanted to know <clears throat> whine about the fact that we living here in the states only get to meet uh, famous mu- music stars, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know mm-hmm. that's just what we get to do, Elena. We <laughs> yeah. get to 
get to hang out with rock stars. Yeah, I know. Like we just, that. they just, I know. It's like, so. I just, you know, I, 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 yeah, you know, shared a latte with Jack White just the other day, you know. So that's the way so it goes. That's what, you know, it was just an everyday thing, you know. It's, you know, I, I can't wait for Mick and the boys to come back into town. Yeah, oh, that was yeah. cool. <laughs> Our buddy Shanghai Mick Jagger out at the Parthenon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he posted about it. He, yeah. uh, a friend of ours, when the Rolling Stones were in Nashville recently, a buddy of ours uh, found out through some uh, some music connections. Well, what it was was his his he had a friend who was driving Mick Jagger's limousine. He's, Is that he, what it was? Yeah, he's, okay. he's the, yeah, his friend was Mick Jagger's chauffeur while he was in Nashville here, and he uh, he got the 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 cue that uh, Mick was visiting the Parthenon yeah. to to get a look at it. And uh, so he darted out there, and sure enough, he he ran into Mick Jagger, and of course his bodyguards coming out of the yeah. Parthenon, yeah, and just walked up to him and asked him to sign his uh, his vinyl copy of uh, what was it, Sticky, Sticky Fingers? Fingers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mick said sure, and they yeah. they signed it for him, and they stood and chatted about museums yeah. for a while, and yeah. it's just like yeah. that's the kind of thing that happens here. You As know? it does, it does. <laughs> well, but, I know uh, I know uh, Keith Richards uh, a couple of days after the concert was uh, was um, showing off the. Uh, rare guitar that he had bought while in Nashville so more than likely he went to Gruen's as they usually all the musicians <laughs> yeah, do it's one of the things are. you gotta do is go to Gruen's guitars and buy something priceless and so he did apparently <laughs> so <laughs> oh lord let's stop name dropping before we no, get no, too no, heavy no, no. <clears throat> folks we want to thank you once again for uh, for joining us remember you can write to us as do other people mm-hmm. usually more than just one person mm-hmm. but you can write to us at nashicast at gmail.com give us your thoughts comments opinions curses, whatever you would like to. And uh, we will be glad to read them, reply to them, and talk about them on the air. If you have any questions for us, that always spurs conversation and makes this a part of the podcast longer and longer. <laughs> so if you don't want us to go away, if you want the, the show to just stretch on and on, send us, a, <laughs> send us these. One way to do it is to write us long and lengthy letter, letters. And boy, will we go we'll, into depth. We will go into depth. Uh, uh, so uh, depth and debt uh, for, <laughs> <laughs> for yeah. your behalf. Tell me, tell uh, me about that. So we need to. Oh yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a next 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 month we'll be doing another Nashi cast. We're going to go from uh, nineteen fifty uh, from I mean some, from fifty two to fifty three just immediately <laughs> right on the heart, hard on the heels. Yeah. We're going to cover another uh, Nashi film. Actually, another film in which uh, Nashi has a fairly small role, and mm-hmm. this one is a film that I have not seen, mm-hmm. but Troy, you have just recently watched it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I wasn't actually sure if we were going to even do this film, so I decided to watch it anyway. And I guess really it was sort of on my record recommendation that yeah this yeah, there's enough there's enough this is worth of worthwhile of being able to to fit into our regular nashi feed here so true 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 so next month we're going to watch uh, a film from the uh what, from what years it's from the from the uh, early 2000s i think so or the late 90s well now i can't remember either the 90s or early 2000s i'll have to i cannot see, remember to save yes. my life but at any rate it's going to we're, we're going to watch rottweiler mm-hmm. which i've heard some bad things about and mm-hmm. i've heard some okay things about right so, uh, but it, it was directed by uh, Brian Yuzner, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, some very interesting things to talk about with mm-hmm. Rottweiler. I know mm-hmm. a little bit of the background on it without without even having seen the film. I know mm-hmm. something about the production of it. So, mm-hmm. going to be interesting. Next month, we will talk about Rottweiler, another small role for uh, Paul Nashi, but from what Troy tells me, mm-hmm. pretty interesting yeah, role. Yeah. So, that's next month. Month after that, we will be rolling back into the controversial kaiju cast. Well, the controversial kaiju's mm-hmm. over on the Bloody Pit yeah. podcast. Right. 
Boy, man, we keep I, making that mistake. I keep making that we mistake. We don't want to step on it. Easy, yeah. It's too easy to do that and to, to kind of stumble across saying Kaiju Cast, and that is a, that is a whole other podcast. Go go listen to the Kaiju Cast, folks. Yeah. It's a good show, uh, but that's not what we're doing. We're just uh, we're dabblers. Yeah, that is that's that right. is what we are. That's right. We yeah. And uh, uh, now I should also say we're you know, let's not leave out the fact that. Somehow or another, I'm not sure how, but Rod, I've let Rod talk me into doing two <laughs> podcasts in one month. <laughs> uh, I, pro- I, I promised him not try to get this. Or I would not do that again. But uh, you own the Bloody Pit on the Bloody Pit podcast. Yeah, we're going to be getting together with our buddy Jeff Nelson, who does all of our incredible, uh, does the incredible artwork and posters for our our podcast. Uh, we're going to be, uh, last time we got together with Jeff, we uh, covered Nightmare City, and we figured that that wasn't insanity enough, and so we're <laughs> we are actually going to do a podcast on. The uh, Luigi Cozy classic, Contamination. And uh, if you've never seen Contamination, you have not seen Madness yet. You think you've seen it because mm-hmm. you've seen Nightmare mm-hmm. City. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. But Contamination will infect you in a whole different way. Yes, and uh, and, I, and I recommend uh, this is coinciding with the release of a Blu-ray of Contamination that has been given a treatment that uh, boy, very few films deserve. I guarantee I know, contamination yeah. does not. It is. <laughs> it's a, well, it's, but, it's, 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 it's 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 akin to the same. It's the mm. same feeling I got when uh, Luigi Cozy's film Star mm. Crash got the royal treatment. On, oh yeah, on yeah. You're just like it's a, when it's like it's it's my dream come true. It's something yeah. I've been wishing for for years, yeah, yeah. and I can't fucking believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same thing with the contamination. Yeah. Holy freaking hell! How yeah. is this happening? Yes, it has been treated like Citizen Kane, you know, and maybe it is the Citizen Kane of insane. Films. Films, it possibly my insane Italian I, I, films. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I will say this: if if Shout Factory or Arrow Films or whoever yeah. got their gets their hands on Lucio Fulci's uh, Conquest, oh my God. and does something similar, that would be, that would be, I will yeah. lose my mind <laughs> yeah. because. It, yes. If oh, Con- Conquest, Conquest. Oh my God. Yeah. We we must. At that one is one that you and me and Jeff definitely are going to have to cover. Conquest. Yeah. Conquest at some point for is sure. so wonderfully awful. <laughs> yeah. oh. But yes, on the Bloody Pit feed, on the over on the Bloody Pit, uh, if you'll pay attention over there, mm. uh, we will be doing. Uh, we will be covering contamination here in a in a week or two, mm. and. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the, we've been having fun on the bloody pit I have to say yeah you got uh, some great Mark, stuff coming out yeah Mark Maddox Mark. and I sat down and covered uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World mm-hmm. and then uh, you and I got uh, the the Godzilla Mothra King Ghidra Giant mm-hmm. Monsters All Out Attack podcast done the controversial yeah. kaiju episode there and then um, good lord then John Hudson and I sat down and talked about uh, two gothic horror films from Antonio Margariti uh, yeah, it's a Castle of Blood Castle of Blood and Web of the Spider yeah. so, oh uh, and um, that's other good new, Blu-ray new, or news I guess you knew about the Barbara Steele set that's coming out soon there's no what some, Barbara Steele set yeah there's going to be um, some uh, uh, Barbara Steele fan, uh, films um, gothic some of the gothic yes colors? yes yes some of the gothic uh, Margariti things that's coming out it's going to be uh, that's good well, I, be... well Long Hair of Death has already come out right Long Hair of Death has already come out well this may not be a Margariti but it's definitely Barbara Steele from that era horror films from that era that there's going to be oh, it's going to be a main wait I do oh that's right yes it's right. going to be yes. a main okay, film yes. that's going to have a two or three it's going to have like I think about three films all together that's right, on the that's set right. it's going to be yes yes remember, so that's yeah that's coming up in the next month so man we are getting so much point like I say I keep I used to joke that once Star Crash came out on Blu-ray I used to joke that wow I have to be careful what I wish 
wish for oh, yeah. because then somebody listens and holy shit, it appears. Mm. So if in a couple of years we're mm. sitting here and talking about the fact that holy hell, they've done mm. they've done conquest yeah. <laughs> as a Blu-ray, <laughs> and there are whole new interviews uh, with people talking yeah. about why there are why why there's a woman with her tits out and a, and a, and a gold mask. I'm going to lose my mind because. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I should use these powers for good. <laughs> Somehow, this should be something that I use for a positive, to have yes. a positive effect yeah. on the world. But, oh, well, oh, well, we'll see. But uh, I guess that'll, I guess I guess that'll wrap it. it up. That's it for uh, NashaCast 52. Thank you, folks, for very much for mm-hmm. downloading and listening to the show. Yeah. Uh, without your participation, we don't have nearly as much fun here. So remember, write us if you mm-hmm. can, NashiCast yeah. at gmail.com. And I guess what we'll do is we'll see you next month. Well, we'll see you here in a few weeks when we talk about contamination. But on the Nashi cast, we will see you next month with Rottweiler. Uh, with Rottweiler. So, uh, everyone, if you're in the northern hemisphere, I know it's hot out there. So just bear down and try not to sweat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Bye, guys. <laughs>